the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast Podcast. It's Friday, June 30th, 2023, and this is the Steak for Breakfast Podcast, episode 252. Make sure you subscribe to the show. It's available across every downloadable podcasting platform. Find us on Apple, Spotify, iHeart, and Google Podcasts. Check out the Steak for Breakfast link tree that will take you to the show's Instagram, our latest Substack, and verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and True Social. Welcome, everybody. Big Friday edition of the show today. I'm Ron. Noah's here. Yo. Antoinette's joined us. Hello. We've got lots of breaking news. It's been a busy week for SCOTUS. We're going to be checking out all the headlines. The Biden crime family continues to unravel. We'll be out on the campaign trail. We've got a great slate of guests coming in today. Kings and Cortez will join us from the Center for Renewing America. Jim Nels, economist and supply chain expert, is going to be joining us. And Jake Denton from the Heritage Foundation will be joining us as well. Let's jump right into the headlines before we get into our interviews and change the way you consume your news. Smokey, this is not Nam, this is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior, America! Steak. For breakfast! So stand by. All right, big Friday edition of the show today. If you're a first-time listener, welcome. If you're a long-time listener, welcome back. And welcome to America's fastest-growing political podcast at Steak for Breakfast. So we've had a busy week. Got the whole pod team here today. Noah, what's up? Yeah, you know, hanging out, doing the thing. It's getting hot. Yeah, I don't like it. Antoinette? Hey, guys. What's hot over here. Well, anytime I say it's hot here, I know it's fucking hot there in Vegas. Yeah, it's like 104. It's going to be 115 in a few days. I was in Vegas one time where they, they told me it was so hot, I just wasn't allowed to go outside. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> it was like 120 cooling- or something. <laughs> yeah, no, they have cooling stations for people, like especially like the homeless. You know, like bus stop stations. Why yeah. would you be homeless in Las Vegas? Mm. It gets fucking cold at night and it's hot as hell <laughs> in the daytime. Like yeah. that just seems like the most awful place to be homeless. Well, you just push your shopping cart to California. Yeah. Where two-thirds of the nation's homeless people live. Well, speaking of things heating up, it's been heating up on the Supreme Court this week. Just in the Mm -hmm. last 24 hours, we've had three major rulings that I could see. A couple other ones that aren't as important. But let's start off with yesterday's breaking news uh, where the affirmative action case that's been up on Capitol Hill for quite some time now, specifically talking about the University of North Carolina and Harvard, where... They would basically not accept people who were qualified to go to college there and instead take people based off of their color. Um, mm-hmm. It was ruled unconstitutional by a 6-3 margin. And Fox News broke the story as I was watching it yesterday. So let's check it out. He says both Harvard and UNC. So, again, you've got a public and a private school, but both take federal money. Um, both programs lack sufficiently focused and measurable objectives warranting the use of race anywhere in their admissions process. Um, that they're unavoidably employing race in a negative manner involving racial stereotyping. That's what these Asian-American students had alleged and lack meaningful endpoints. We've never permitted admissions programs to work in that way, and we will not do so today. They do go on to say, though, at the same time, as all parties agree, nothing in this opinion should be construed as prohibiting universities from considering an applicant's discussion of how race affected his or her her life through discrimination, inspiration, or otherwise. So these uh, essays that students will write, um, possible students, the applicants will write, talking about what their experience has been. The court says, you know, we're not going to rule that out. Of course, people can have discussions about what led them to this point in their life, whatever that is. Um, They go on to say a benefit to a student who overcame racial discrimination, for example, must be tied to that student's courage and determination, Mm -hmm. or benefit to a 
student whose heritage or culture motivated him or her to assume leadership positions, those kinds of things. So basically they say... Um, the, the universities have too long done the opposite. They've used an array, race in a way that's actually hurt other races. They've concluded wrongly that the touchstone of an identity's uh, individual's identity is not challenges bested, skills built, or lessons learned, but only the color of their skin. And our constitutional history does not tolerate that choice. Well, what do you guys think? I think it's, uh, number one, it's historic to get this shit out of our <laughs> educational system right now. We are already seeing... Across the country, school districts dropping standards as far as like testing out. Colleges mm -hmm. have been running on the, you know, the platform for the last probably decade. Well, you know, the, these entrance exams, they're just geared towards like white and Asian people. So why do we even consider them when admitting people to our institutions of higher learning? And, uh, you know, just, well, it's just it's to see to people of color, it's like telling them, yeah, you're not, you know, you're, you're not smart enough to do this. Exactly. So come on. I mean, this is like a, a, a win for everyone, in my opinion. Well, when you talk about like people getting in for something that they're not qualified for, when it comes to like an Ivy League school or one of these like these institutions, like they are difficult to, to get through and pass like with a with yeah. a passing grade. So. I mean, there's that whole term like fake it till you make it. Like, it doesn't really work in these scenarios. Like if somebody gets into something. You know, it's like if I got a job like working a nuclear reactor, like I have no idea what I'm doing. Like if, you, if you're just going to give me the job based on, you know, I want to be a nuclear physicist, it's not going to work out. I'm not going to pass the test. And then when it comes down to it, these some of these people that go to these colleges and they're not qualified for it, they may end up dropping out because because they weren't ready for it. Yeah. And then like, and then it hurts happened? them even more. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'll tell you what, it's over a 50 percent rate of people who are admitted not based off of their academic proficiency that wind up either leaving the school or not passing. Yeah, that's exactly my point. Yeah. What do you guys think this, uh, this goes to towards cementing the Trump legacy history wise. This is huge. A six, three margin essentially gives the legacy SCOTUS judges who are up on the bench. In addition to the three that Donald Trump added over the course of his first term. Oh, I think it's great. I think he did a great job. Yeah, he's 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 had his SCOTUS picks are constitutional scholars that want yeah. to up, uphold the Constitution, not just be willy nilly like we're just going to do whatever we want based on thoughts and feelings. Right. President Trump made a lot of promises in, in the nomination process for his uh, SCOTUS picks. And, and you're definitely we're reaping the fruits of that right now, especially with with all the rulings that have come down in his dissent. Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas said those affirmative action policies fly in the face of our colorblind constitution and our nation's equality ideal. In short, they are plainly and boldly unconstitutional, end quote. Nice. I'm not saying end quote like Joe Biden does when he reads the teleprompter. <laughs> President Trump would go on to add in a truth social post yesterday. This is a great day for America. People with extraordinary ability and everything else necessary for success, including future greatness for our country, are finally being rewarded. This ruling, everyone was waiting for and hoping for, and the result was amazing. It will also keep us competitive with the rest of the world. Our greatest minds must be cherished, and that's what this wonderful day has brought. We're going to bring back merit-based, and that's the way it should be. I think that goes to, you know, a lot of President Trump's credit. These people were nominated on platforms that they were really going to get into examining affirmative action they were going to get into examining roe v wade and the dobbs decision that they made last year we just passed the one year anniversary of that 
And when you talk about the wins that we've been able to get uh, with the six judges on, on the conservative side for the Supreme Court, it's it's really going to help a lot of people moving forward uh, remember the job that President Trump did in getting these people on the bench, especially if he can get back into the White House in 2024 where you could see potentially two more judge appointments uh, for, for President Trump if he gets in. So Joe Biden, of course, was told to go out there and speak on this yesterday. Um, and, and you know what? Oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> angle his handlers were at. I mean, going back from the start of Barack Obama's first term, he has just done a great job of, of using race and the and that's another big point we have to we have to talk about. You know, this affirmative action ruling was just for the college universities, but now that it's been ruled unconstitutional, you can have places like the private sector and the yep. federal government uh, mm-hmm. have people challenge this all the way up to the Supreme Court level now, based on this ruling, where things like critical race theory and diversity, equity, and inclusion policies are being used against people who are qualified as they're passed up for jobs just based off of what people look like. Exactly. So that's that's huge, I think, monumentous, uh, to say the least. Let's hear Joe Biden as he weighed in on this kind of yesterday. The court has effectively ended affirmative action in college admissions. And I strongly, strongly disagree with the court's decision. Because affirmative action is so misunderstood, I want to be clear, make sure everybody's clear about what the law has been and what it has not been until today. Many people wrongly believe that affirmative action allows unqualified students, unqualified students to be admitted ahead of qualified students. I thought that's what it meant. This is not, this is not how college admissions work. Rather, colleges set out standards for admission and every student, every student has to meet those standards. Then and only then, after first meeting the qualifications required by the school, do colleges look at other factors in addition to their grades such as race. The way it works in practice is this. Colleges first establish a qualified pool of candidates based on meeting certain grade, test scores, and other criteria. Then and only then, then and only then, it is from this pool of applicants, all of whom have already met the school standards, that the class is chosen after weighing a wide range of factors, among them being race. Is that even accurate? No, it's 100% false. Yeah, I mean, because they lowered the standards for certain students, right? right? And erased some of the standards for others. Yeah. yeah. You guys do remember that that more famous uh, example of this we saw just a little over a year ago where there was two students who applied to Stanford University. One student was more than academically qualified to, and he, I believe he was Asian, to attend the university and there was an african-american student who applied who wrote as his entrance essay one sheet of paper black lives matter covered the entire paper and the person who wrote that paper was admitted to the school so you're going to say that wouldn't be considered lowering standards by looking at the essay's content so you're saying black lives don't matter (laughs) i actually have young cousins that were um valedictorians and applying for colleges and they weren't getting admitted because of affirmative action and it was just mind-boggling because they're they're children of immigrants they're not you know the white plantation owner type you know well, narrative that they try to push it's funny that you brought that up today because president trump shared one of the biggest trolling articles ever written <laughs> that basically proved using genealogy that donald trump is the only president in u.s history who didn't own yeah. slaves who did not own slaves 
Well, you not know, he was isn't that crazy. The, his family didn't own slaves, right? Not him personally, right? <laughs> Still, oh, as family. I be, as I believe, he's only a second generation American. Uh, his parents immigrated here, so yeah, yeah it's it's he's pretty funny, right? Yeah, it's it's funny to see that. Uh, <laughs> How this, and when you look at it, there are so many different comparisons. You want to talk about someone like... Well, so he's going to be off the hook for reparations then. There you go. <laughs> he's definitely not all about that either. But when you talk about during President Trump's first term, Ben Carson, who was hired to run HUD, I mean, that guy was a world-renowned pediatric neurosurgeon. Definitely qualified to run the department, which he was appointed to. And then you have the Biden administration where you have everybody from like KJP, Pete Buttigieg, and Xavier Becerra who have no backgrounds in any of the departments or positions they're holding and doing an absolute awful job of destroying the country while doing it. Exactly. Diversity picks. Yeah, it was like Kevin Kiley, who was on the show last week, he had that back and forth with Xavier Becerra during committee up on Capitol Hill last week, and he challenged him on, like, Xavier Becerra made it a mandate for children that were receiving, like, that were going and getting education uh, in the public school systems all the way down to the age of two during the pandemic to get masks. And when Kevin Kylie repeatedly challenged him and he wouldn't answer, Xavier Becerra <laughs> admitted he was not a doctor and was not an expertise in the field, therefore could not provide commentary on it. And he's like, that's exactly what I'm fucking saying. So why did you do it? <laughs> oh, Lord. Yeah, it's it just it just goes to show how I mean, back to the other the other thing with what the clip we just listened of Joe Biden. They will just lie. Straight up lie. Just straight up lie. Complete. Yeah. Like, Shamelessly. I mean, are, is Community Notes hitting that uh, video clip yet? Community Notes has been hammering the White House. Official oh, my Twitter gosh. account. Oh, good. I love it. I, I, I really don't like Twitter. I don't go on Twitter very often. I need to start going just for that. But, it, yeah, no, I, I don't do it much, but it's good to see when I get on there and I'm like, okay. You know, that's cool. Community I just want a community notes yeah. notification when something yeah, no, I need to see. Great. So just go to the community notes account, hit the <laughs> notification bell. So, so good. Ju- Justice Gorsuch, uh, he weighed in on on Justice Thomas's dissent uh, with a concurrence. He put out one that said, it suggested that SCOTUS should look at the Title VI version of the Civil Rights Act and said that federal funds may never discriminate based on race. Yeah. Look at yeah. what we're doing with I that. I mean, now. white people too. Hello. Well, no, but now Joe Biden just came out and announced last week that as the president of the United States, he has mandated that every agency within the federal government has to have diversion, equity and inclusion policies and climate change policies as a weighing factor at the top of their hiring and promotional processes. Well, is a mandate a law, though? No, it's not a law, but it's a thing. It's going to take years before the Supreme Court could weigh in on things like this. Yeah. I mean, this thing does not go against all of these diversity, equity, and inclusion policies that businesses and and, and the federal apparatus mm. have been running for years now. I mean, just look at across the board of Joe Biden's cabinet and people in high-ranking positions that had just have no expertise or background in any of the places that they're running. It's wild to see mm. that uh, these people are, you know, basically directing the government at, at the highest levels right now. So there were some other rulings I definitely want to touch on today. Student loan forgiveness was ruled unconstitutional. So oh. weird that, that something like that would. Uh, Nancy Pelosi talked about it a little over a year ago and said this was probably something that would have to be argued over and then eventually done in Congress. But Joe Biden went ahead and, and executively ordered it anyway. And the Supreme Court made the ruling this morning. I've got a little bit of audio given the specifics. Let's hear it. 
So we're trying to parse okay. through this. The first case dealt with the individual borrowers and what the courts deci decided unanimously, Justice Alito wrote this, is that they don't have standing. So the case with the individual borrowers, they don't have standing, meaning they don't go anywhere on the merits of the case. But we're now getting in the second case. This is written, I believe, by the Chief Justice John Roberts, saying that the group of states who sued, it appears that they do have standing. So with that in mind, we now need to get to the guts of the case. It's 6-3. We know the Chief is writing for the majority and Justice Kagan is dissenting along with Justice Sotomayor and Jackson, which gives us a hint which way we think the case is going to go. Uh, but it looks like at least one of these cases says that there is standing for the states. Now, what they decide on the merits, we are still reading and the hard copies are coming my way. But again, one of the cases tossed as we thought on standing. The other one does get to the merits by the dissent. And um, that's a trick I learned long ago is that you look at the this. Um, here we go. It says the courts, uh, the court agrees with the states, this group of states. Here is Jack. Thank you, Jack. Okay. Um, that the HEROES Act, that's what the Biden administration had used um, to justify forgiving part of the student loans. Um, it doesn't authorize the debt forgiveness plan. So let me get here and um, make sure that I've got the right one. That one does not count. Um, so, again, it looks like this is written by the Chief Justice, and it looks like another 6-3. Yes, Chief Justice Roberts, Thomas Alito, Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, and Barrett join him. Uh, Justice Barrett files a concurring opinion. Um, Justice Kagan files the dissenting. Too. So we're trying to parse okay. through this. So as the news is breaking in, in D.C. today, it's also breaking here on the show. We're, we're kind of getting this in as the show, but, but some of these rulings are, are absolutely important and critical to everything that's going on right now. So we need to talk about it. So another 6-3 ruling in, in regards to the student loan, lack of standing for the individual borrowers. And then when you're talking about Joe Biden, who used, he basically tried to hijack the HEROES Act, which if you're listening yeah. and don't really know, in the wake of 9-11, the HEROES Act was put into law. And what it did was it prevented people who were joining the military or were already in the military and had student loan payments when they went to the theater of war throughout the course of their in-theater time uh, while they were active duty, their loans would not default if they weren't paying them. And Joe Biden tried to basically say, like, every student in the United States who doesn't want to pay their student loan is now eligible to hijack the HEROES Act. Uh, wow. Yeah, that's gross. In regards that's to student loan free, it's absolutely disgusting. I mean, really, um, all these all these rulings are just giant roadblocks for fucking socialism when you look down to it. Yeah. 100%. Like, I mean... That's what the, the Constitution is to protect us from that. Exactly. Lowering credit scores is now making you more marketable to own a home before That's someone ridiculous. having more money in the bank is now less marketable than someone uh, who's applying for a first time home loan, which is absolutely wild. How about better credit scores make for a lower interest rate? I'm down for that one. It's completely the opposite uh -huh. now, my friend. <laughs> those, those people with 440 FICAs are getting the... Oh. Uh, Two point two percent, and us all up here in, in seven hundred plus land are getting the seven eight nine percentages out here. That's ridiculous. It's crazy. So, so, yeah, some big rulings up on Capitol Hill one that are happening today. There's one more that I want to talk about. It, it's more of a fun one, but it, definitely a big win for America First, and definitely one of the things President Trump weighed on throughout the course of his first presidency. But I want to remind everybody that's listening first, no matter what platform it's on, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, make sure you're subscribed to the show. Write a review, rate the show as well, and then across social medias, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram. Follow the Steak for Breakfast podcast accounts and hit the notification bell. You'll thank us later. We've got an America Firster and one of the National Committee women for the D.C. Young Republicans Club, Kingsley Cortez, coming in just a minute. But there's another ruling that's breaking across the wire now. I don't know if you guys have heard this one yet since it's just happening in real time. But thou shall not... 
baked cakes. Oh, Are we doing the cake thing again for real? They have ruled again. six three in favor of people who do not want to bake cakes. Uh, for degenerates, essentially, if you are like, let's say, if you're any kind of religion and you have beliefs that that kind of lifestyle is outside of the scope of what you feel comfortable providing business for, it's basically no shoes, no shirts, no service to the nth degree. You don't have to bake cakes for people anymore and aren't liable to be sued by it. I mean, I would just consider that just normal. I mean, if you own a business and you don't want to do something, it's your fucking business. Yeah, but I demand that you make me a, a rainbow-colored, dick-shaped cake for my wedding. <laughs> no. And I'm, I'm going to provide a real picture of my penis to use as an example. Oh, perfect. That, that's literally how we got here. It was things like that. That happened. Yeah. So wow. it's it's been a busy morning, and I saw – well, I don't know if he's a steak for breakfast enjoyer, but he does follow our Twitter account and occasionally likes some of my spicy shit postings. Charles Payne from Fox Business. Ooh. Yeah. I actually like him. He he tells it how it is. He's definitely the opposite of Jim Cramer. But he was on there this morning kind of talking about the, the overality of these rulings and, and kind of laid it out there. Let's hear him. Okay. He used the word fairness about two or three times in, in, that, in that press conference. How is this fair to bar students who've worked their ass off to get the best grades out there, to sacrifice so many things and say, no, you don't get it because maybe your family had money? You know, and particularly the Asian kids in this country have been dominated. But this is the best news for black Americans. It can be. It can be if we allow it, because maybe now we will demand strong educations for our kids beginning in kindergarten. So this kind of thing becomes a moot point. Mm. We never we should never even have to consider things like this if there wasn't for the bigotry of low expectations, mostly by liberal cities that do not think highly of black people. Oh, they like us, but they don't think we're smart. And so the Faustian deal has always been, we'll give you a watered-down education, your kids will graduate 12th grade with an 8th grade reading level, but we'll make it up to you. We'll give you fair housing, we'll give you food stamps, we'll find a way to make it up, we'll push affirmative action, mm-hmm. we'll get you into jobs that you may not necessarily be qualified for. That's the Faustian deal. It's time to end the Faustian deal. I got a lot more on this on my show, by the way. Fascinating. Yeah. You know, I think it's, it, he kind of lays it out there. This has been, this does set this, the table for us to get to the root causes of what actually the problem is and it's the it's the current public education system well that and crime yeah like we have policies that are basically just rewarding people for being criminals like you don't want these people that are in these communities to have to like battle their way to school like these 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 students are going to school and they're like dodging bullets it's it's wild dodging needles and human feces as well no it's 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 these shitty democrat policies that are causing just rampant crime, rampant drug use, epidemics of health issues with the fact that all these people are sharing needles and all this other nonsense. Like, it's wild. Imagine going to high school and when you're trying to go inside, it's metal detectors. You're literally, it's like going to the airport, TSA. Like, they're waving wands around you. And, you know, in some of these inner cities, like, for example, in New York, it's unbelievable. Imagine graduating a a high school with an eighth grade education and, and getting into an Ivy League school because of the color of your skin. Well, that's when we talk about that fifty percent dropout rate. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's been a it's been a wild week, but big wins for America first. We're gonna continue to touch on this with Kingsley Cortez in just a minute, but before we do, let's hear from one of our partners. This episode of the podcast is brought to you as always by Man Rubs. Rubs, barbecue tools, blow torches, t shirts, coffee cups, and all around barbecue related gear for you to make barbecue great again. Can be found at manrubs.com and on Instagram, Man Rubs. 
Use the code STAKE15 for 15% off your order. All right, joining us first on the show today, she does some digital media down at the Center for Renewing America. She's also a national committee woman for the Washington, D.C. Young Republicans. We're really happy to be sitting down with Kingsley Cortez again. Kingsley, thanks for joining the show. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Well, we've got a bunch of stuff to talk about, but I think uh, for today's edition of the podcast, one of the things we're focusing on, we just talked about it in our first news segment, is some of the historic rulings by the Supreme Court today. As someone who tracks this stuff pretty actively, what do you think about we picked up a lot of wins over the last 24 hours, and, and it's looking good for you know a lot of the appointments that Donald Trump was able to make, three SCOTUS judges over the course of his first term. Yeah, absolutely. You're correct. There's a lot to celebrate um, as we end you know Pride Month and go into Independence Month, which I'm very excited about. No more gay flags as I walk around the streets of D.C. Um, but yeah, I think you know for conservatives, this is a massive victory, like you said, these are justices that Trump put on the court. And I think it just speaks to, you know, his legacy and his success as a president. He can't stop winning even after he leaves office. Um, and I'm just really encouraged by this. I think, you know, there are going to be a lot of cases that continue to get taken up by the Supreme Court. And I always tell conservatives, you know, we can't rely on the courts exclusively. I think that was kind of establishment Republican thinking for a long time in this country that we would kind of just, you know, hope that and pray that the courts would save us. Um, but I think that what we're seeing really across the country now at the grassroots level is people getting engaged in the culture war, getting engaged in dismantling the establishment. And I think that we're seeing wins, not just in the court, but we're seeing wins, you know, in local precincts, we're seeing wins in states at the legislature level. So I feel like we have a lot to celebrate as Republicans. Of course, we can't stop here, right? They're going to try to steal the 2024 election. We have to stay vigilant. We have to make politics our kind of pastime. I think for too long, the radical left has totally had ownership of political activism. I tell people all the time, get off the sidelines. We cannot afford for a single one of us to be out of this fight. And I'm really encouraged to see what the Supreme Court is doing in taking the fight to the radical left and their woke indoctrination across the country. Now, you made a couple of good points there, and I do want to touch on it. When you see a, a ruling like the one that came down, which basically rules that affirmative action is unconstitutional, We've seen things like affirmative action and how it's evolved into, uh, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion. It's promoted in things like critical race theory and the 1619 Project. How important is it for us? You know, you, you talk about across the country people being tired of this as we're, you know, entering Independence Month and, and American Pride Month and exiting Gross Pride Month. And, you know, degenerate pride month for us to continue to stay in this fight as, as you know, the Supreme Court makes these rulings and, and we let our listenership know we're not going to love all the rulings they make. But when it comes to the big ones like this and the fact of the matter is that, you know, especially in this affirmative action ruling that you can just kick somebody out who's more than qualified uh, just based off of their race and in turn hire another race who doesn't meet criteria to, that would normally allow them into college it says a lot for where our institutions are right now. And, and it says a lot for the direction that this country is trending in. But I do feel like, you know, if we continue to fight and push back on this, bring awareness, especially in rising conservative media, we do have a strong chance of really, you know, gaining on the course of these wins. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, let's just 
say it outright. I mean, affirmative action policies are racist policies. For so long in this country, it has been nearly impossible to get into a university, to get a job promotion, um, to ascend the ranks in our military if you are a white male. White Christian males are the most persecuted group, the most persecuted demographic in the United States today. And that has really kind of risen because of the left's affirmative action CRT policies, right? They have totally dismantled our meritocratic system that we have had essentially since America's founding, and they have instead prioritized hiring people on the basis of race. And I mean, this is just going to have catastrophic effects across the nation. I mean, I worry now getting on a plane or, you know, undergoing a surgery. I, I wonder is this doctor, did they get into med school because of their race? Were they underqualified? I think there are a lot of things that we're going to start to see, whether that's infrastructure-wise or, you know, um, accident-wise, if we continue to put meritocracy and actual skill on the back burner and instead just hire someone or promote someone because of the color of their skin. I mean, this is so backwards. It goes against everything that we stand for as Americans. And I'm just so proud to see the conservatives on the court. I usually, you know, I give those guys a hard time. The Federalist Society judges are never my favorite. We disagree <laughs> on some things. But I'm just so proud to see them say, no, this is not what America's about. And we're going to put the kibosh on this. Now, I do think Republicans, you know, whether there are state legislatures or lawmakers at the congressional level really need to ensure that they are enforcing this ruling, right? Because the left, you already saw Harvard put out a statement um, that they're going to continue to kind of, you know, use essays or other ways of, of assessing someone's, um, you know, diverse quota making and stuff like that. So I think that we need lawmakers that are enforcing this ruling and making sure that they're putting forth legislation that is going to kind of put the kibosh on universities trying to skirt this or, you know, big tech corporations trying to skirt this. Um, so we need to, you know, the work isn't done, as I said earlier, but we just need to make sure that we celebrate our wins and we keep running with them. I think that's the most important thing as conservatives. We have a tendency to kind of celebrate a win and bask in the glory for too long, but we have to figure it almost like a battle, right? If you take some ground, you keep advancing. So we have to keep advancing as conservatives. No, that's it right there. And uh, we've got a lot of good people in this fight, including some of our Supreme Court judges who, you know, be got unified behind some of these things that Donald Trump, w when nominating them, said would eventually come down the pike. And, and he hypothesized that, you know, the rulings that they have had over the last 24 hours here uh, would come to fruition, and they have. So it's really good to see that. I do want to kind of stay in the same thread when you talk about uh, some of the awful hires that the current administration has made. I mean, it wasn't like during the Trump administration where you would have people like, you know, Rick Grinnell, who's the first openly gay ambassador that was hired by President Trump and then in a cabinet level position who was literally one of the world's best peace brokers uh, during the course of the first Trump term. He's still brokering peace in, in places like Kosovo just as recently as last week. Dr. Ben Carson, you know, it was, it was, he, he was the you know, man who ran HUD, but he also was a world-renowned child uh, neurosurgeon. So it's like now you have people like Pete Buttigieg who, you know, came from one of the biggest crime-ridden small cities in America, leading the Department of Transportation, Xavier Bracera, who has no background in, in, in health and human services, running the agency, et cetera. So a big difference in between, uh, you know, 
putting people who bring diversity in their background to an elevated position like President Trump did based off their track record and resume compared to what Joe Biden's doing right now. But I do want to kind of touch on the problems that he's been running into. I mean, we know the House Oversight Committee led by James Comer, Jim Jordan, and the Weaponization Committee as well has really been peeling back the layers on, on some of Joe Biden's possible upcoming legal problems. As someone who, you know, over at the center there, there's a lot of people who have a lot of skin invested in this game, uh, you know, getting to the bottom of what Joe Biden did, both in and out of office and some of the crimes he may have committed. What do you think about the whole situation? Yeah, no, I mean, it's obviously disgusting the way the Biden family has profited off of the vice presidency and, and now the presidency. But I think, you know, the real buried lead here with this Hunter Biden, Biden crime family saga is the cover up. I mean, Hunter Biden's former business partner, it just came out the other day, Tony Bobolinsky, was never asked to testify to a Delaware grand jury, and he even volunteered um, to testify. And this revelation kind of tracks with the IRS whistleblower, Gary Shapley, who claimed that, you know, DOJ prosecutors avoided leads that yep. could implicate Joe Biden. So I think there are a lot of questions here. Why is the Department of Justice kind of avoiding... Um, investigating leads that will lead to President Biden and his corruption. I think we, we really need to ask these questions, and House Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer is doing that. He's found that, you know, the Biden crime family may have accepted over $40 million in foreign bribes. But I think that, you know, we need to be really aggressive with these committees, right, whether that's weaponization, judiciary, um, Comer's Oversight Committee, I think that we've kind of, under their leadership, become the party of asking and yeah. the party of, you know, strongly written letters. <laughs> and we can't do that because we are up against the deep state. I'm so tired of seeing, you know, that the weaponization committee has asked the FBI for something and the FBI says no. And then we're like, oh, well, we tried. No, we need to subpoena these individuals. They would subpoena us. The weaponization and oversight committees should be dropping subpoenas daily, getting these people to come in front of Congress and talk about the corruption that is happening at the expense of the American people. I mean, it's just crazy. You even think back to January 2020 when the FBI was offered bank account details about the Biden family from a woman in Ukraine, but because the tip came from Ru Rudy Giuliani, it was just totally ignored. Yep. And Barr's Justice Department, this wasn't just, this isn't just the Biden DOJ, right? Under the Trump DOJ, Bill Barr didn't investigate the Hunter Biden laptop at all. I mean, why is that? I think it's just, it's sick. You, you begin to wonder if these people were in on it or if this is just incompetence. No, I mean, that's it right there. Having the Hunter Biden laptop since the middle of 2019 says a lot for Bill Barr and his track record and, and the special interests, like, and friend people that he's friends with within, you know, the federal justice system and the FBI. So, I'm going to go with in on it. Yeah, it says a lot to where that investigation <laughs> went. And, uh, you know, he didn't do anything to refute or stop the 51 intelligence officials who said that the laptop was Russian disinformation at the time either, which he had the authority to do. I mean, it, what Kingsley, when it comes down to it, we got the Hunter Biden ruling last week, and three days later, Hunter Biden is sitting at a state dinner with the with the leader of India a hundred feet away from Merrick Garland. Like, right? What what can you say? No, they don't care. They feel like they're untouchable, and they feel like no matter what Republicans do, it's never going to stick. Yeah, they're almost giving us the middle finger, right? Because they know or they assume that we are 
too afraid to kind of fight back and to use their tactics against them. But I always say, you know, we need to do that on the right. We need to be just as aggressive as the left in using power, because I think, you know, for a long time, Republicans have really had this kind of live and let live philosophy, this small government mindset. But we live in a big government world, yep. right, where the DOJ, the FBI are harassing everyday Americans. They're putting Americans on a no-fly list for protesting gay porn in their kids' library. I mean, these institutions have just run totally unchecked. So we need to be aggressive in our response and powerful in our response and use, you know, the tools in our toolbox where we can. I mean, where are the Republican state attorney generals and district attorneys in red states? They could prosecute Hunter Biden for crimes he committed in Arkansas or in Missouri, but they're not doing that because they just say, oh, the FBI's got it. We can no longer trust these institutions. They have become totally woke and weaponized against the American people. We need to fight if we can at the localities and get this stuff, you know, going. Because if we let Hunter Biden and Joe Biden continue to shake down the American people, ship our jobs overseas, send money to Ukraine, we're not going to have a country anymore. Right. No, I mean, that's it right there. And, uh, you know, when you talk about the job that Joe Biden's done or lack thereof, I mean, he literally is running on Bidenomics, which has been a meme for the last two years. <laughs> and it's just hilarious to see them roll that out, like, literally as the meme. And, uh, you know, when you just see the way he walked off of MSNBC studio last night in the middle of an interview because he thought they cut to a commercial and just walked right behind the host as she's throwing it to commercials was just... The look on her face was pretty good. Yeah, it was. and Well, well-deservedly, it was Nicole Wallace, but... Kingsley, how do you see this 2024 GOP primary field shaping up or not? Because the way we look at it on the show, the entire GOP field is running like an alternate universe, multiverse version of the GOP primary amongst themselves, hoping that Donald Trump gets charged or isn't able to run in some context. And Donald Trump pretty much has already, I mean, we broke it down with, uh, Richard Barris, the People's Pundit, a week ago, we're going to have Mark Mitchell back on the show next week to talk about the numbers, but they're already looking at delegates and saying, like, this could be over by Super Tuesday, and, and most of the field, unless they just want to keep wasting money, is going to be out of it. Right. No, I think you're exactly correct, and I am an alum of the 2020 Trump campaign, so, you know, I'm MAGA through and through. I think the Trump saga is far from over. He absolutely has a term, and I believe that he can win for the third time. Uh, and I would just add that, you know, 2024 Trump that we're seeing out there on the campaign trail is 2016 Trump. Yep. He has not lost his step. He's the guy to beat. And the polls reflect that he is in touch with what matters to the base. And no one instills more fear in the hearts and minds of our enemies than this guy does. Right. I mean, the mainstream media is melting down. The DOJ is harassing him at every corner. They do not want this man to be president. And he doesn't have to do this, right? I mean, he could just ride off into the sunset, play golf at Mar-a-Lago, but he feels that he has a duty to sacrifice for the American people and for the movement that he started. So I'm behind him 100%. And in terms of the primary, you know, I would say, look, obviously DeSantis was a phenomenal governor, especially during COVID down in Florida. He has a lot of accomplishments to tout, but I just don't think he has the instinct. I don't think he's ready for prime time. And his poll numbers do reflect that, right? He didn't get the announcement bump that we were promised. And he's just made a lot of missteps. He refused to comment on Alvin Bragg's 
politically motivated prosecution of Donald Trump. He never commented about Fox's ousting of Tucker Carlson. So it just tells me he doesn't really have the kind of warrior fighter mindset that Donald Trump does. So I think, you know, Donald Trump will run away with this primary. Of course, I believe they will try to steal it. In the general, they will try to knock him out with indictment after indictment. I think we'll see Georgia drop here soon. Sure. Um, but he is our fighter, right? He is our champion, and we all need to rally behind him when he becomes the eventual 2024 nominee. I have to ask, because we always go for at least one funny receipt, and we get every single one of our guests, no matter how When Matt Whitaker comes on and he wants to be stone-faced, we'll still make him laugh. You know, we just get it done. Is, is Thanksgiving going to be weird at your house this year? <laughs> that's actually you stole my line every time people ask me about it i say thanksgiving will be awkward so <laughs> i mean no i think you know i love my father and i think he was the desantis campaign's best hire by far uh, but we definitely just disagree um about the nominee so we'll see who wins um but yeah it's it's funny you know being on opposite sides because we both worked on the trump campaign together sure. so you know now a little bit of a riff but it could be worse right i could have democrats in my family <laughs> have you tried to float a friendly wager or anything like that or are you just <laughs> letting it ride out and see where it goes just letting it ride out and see where it goes yeah no wager of any kind but uh, he definitely knows where I stand, and we'll see what happens. I believe that I've picked the winning horse here. No, I think uh, we're all in agreement with you here on Steak for Breakfast. we got to get those receipts. It just has to be done. Last thing I wanted to ask <laughs> you about, Kingsley, I think it's one, one of the most important, even though you've provided a lot of amazing commentary for our listenership today. So you're a national committee woman for the Washington, D.C. Young Republicans. Uh, when it, we're talking about you, I guess, you represent the sister organization of, you know, the New York Young Republican Club and all of our friends there. They're all frequent guests and contributors on our show. Uh, what can you say about the great work that's going on there? And how important is it for places like New York City and Washington, D.C. alike to have such strong young Republican clubs, especially in this disastrous and very toxic political environment? Yeah, no, I mean, what the New York Young Republicans have done, I think they've really become the model young Republican club. Um, for states across the nation. So we certainly looked to them when we took over the DC Young Republicans as kind of an example of what we should strive for and just the kind of dominance and influence young Republican clubs can have. I think for a long time, you know, clubs like this didn't get any sort of national attention. They were totally overlooked. They were almost just kind of, you know, social clubs in various cities that were nice, but they didn't have any impact. So I think our DCYR takeover has really proved that America First is inevitable. We're here, we're loud, we're going to make an impact. Um, because the club before we took over, we took over probably two months ago, mm -hmm. and the club before was just chock full of rhinos. They were afraid to have individuals like Matt Gates speak. I mean, it was just ridiculous how old and establishment their thinking was. So our takeover has totally revamped the club. We've seen our numbers go up massively. Our membership has increased from under 100 to now we're over 300 in just two months. So I think we've become more in touch with where the Republican Party is. We're really ultra MAGA. And the impact that we're going to be able to have at the national level will be something to watch, surely. DC races, we're here in the swamp. They just don't matter that much, unfortunately. It's just, you know, a Democrat's going to win every time. So where we're going to really focus our energy, because we are, you know, our nation's capital club, is national races. We're going to be making endorsements. You've probably seen that we already 
endorse President Donald J. Trump. Yep. We're going to be volunteering on campaigns. Um, and we're just going to be hosting um, different speakers that are, you know, right wing, that are new right, not old right. And we're going to be kind of building a coalition of D.C. individuals who we can be in the trenches with together. Because I think, you know, the left wins when we feel alone, when you feel like, gosh, I'm the only Republican in New York or in D.C. So being able to have, you know, your fellow comrades stand by you and know that there are people who share your values is really important. And I think we're providing that for young people. And, and young people have gotten it really tough. I mean, this economy is just totally slamming them, right? I mean, it's just, it's not 60% of Americans are saying that they're living paycheck to paycheck and, and young Americans are, are experiencing this kind of thing. And, and they're saying, how will I ever buy a home or support a family, right? They've been totally kind of disenfranchised by a boomer class who was asleep at the wheel yep. and really squandered their birthright. And I mean, just for, from my perspective as a young woman too, 45% of women between the ages of 25 and 44 are going to be single and childless by 2030. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that is because they don't feel like they have the financial stability to be able to meet someone, to own a home, to start a family, to stay at home if they want to. So I think, you know, young people are increasingly frustrated and they're increasingly ready to step up to the plate and fight. And that's something that at DCYR, we're going to really put to the forefront. Yeah, I think some of those issues are just absolutely critical to getting our country back, especially starting off with like the traditional family values all the way up to the, you know, new right that you talked about and the way that Republicans are going to govern in the future, not like we did during the boomer generation. And I think, like I mentioned, the connectivity tissue between, you know, what you guys are doing down in D.C. and places like New York, it's absolutely critical to make sure that there's national success and the support of endorsing candidates and, and, and working on campaigns with them. So, Kingsley, this has been awesome seeing down with you. Again, today, we're going to have you back at some point soon because we think you uh, add a lot to the show when you're on and we love all the work that you're doing. But for anybody that's not following you, what can we live link in the show description today? Yeah, well, thanks so much. I appreciate the kind words. I'm at Kingsley Cortez with an S on all the platforms. So please go check me out. I put out a lot of content. Um, and thanks, guys. Appreciate it. She provided some great content here today. And she does so when she's doing digital media at the Center for Renewing America and also with the Washington, D.C. Young Republicans. Ms. Kingsley Cortez, thanks for joining us on the show. Thanks so much. If this was a small business owner or any other non-connected individual, yeah. they would have been charged with felony counts. Does that sound like equal justice under the law, Jim Jordan? No, 60% of the country thinks there's a double standard at the Justice Department, Sean. They think that because there is. Anyone with common sense can see this. Why did the assistant U.S. attorney there working for David Weiss, why did she tip off the Hunter Biden lawyers saying when, when, the day before they were going to interview people? Why did she say no to a search warrant for the storage unit that they wanted to go? Part of just a normal investigation, she said no to that search warrant. Why did she say you couldn't ask questions when you were doing interviews as part of this investigation about Joe Biden? And you couldn't use the term the big guy. Why all that? Why, why did they do all that? Something is not going right here. Everyone, I think, sees that. And it's why we're going to bring in three U.S. attorneys. We, we got to come in and we got to talk to three U.S. attorneys. We got to talk to a number of assistant U.S. attorneys and a number of people who worked in the FBI who were all part of this, this now somewhat, I think, famous meeting on October 7th, 2022, the red line meeting, as, uh, as the whistleblower has talked about. So we got our work to do. We're going to do it. That was House Oversight Committee Chairman Jim Jordan. He sat down with Kevin McCarthy on Boomer Sweat's Sean Hannity show Friday, and they were talking about the now 
continuing to be explosive developments in the Joe Biden, I don't even know what you want to call it anymore, crime family investigation extravaganza that's going on right now. The stuff that's coming out about the, the plea deal that Hunter Biden made and the U.S. attorney that was assigned to the case and the things that he was allowed to and not allowed to do, um, everything from not being able to basically inquire into anything outside the state of Delaware, even the, though the crimes happened in places all over the United States. That's number one. Uh, he was not allowed to request elevating the investigation to special counsel status, which I feel like eventually this probably will get to because it's going to be so explosive. Mm-hmm. Um, the, obviously, the IRS whistleblowers, the group of six who were basically stonewalled at every turn until they were removed from the case without justification or reason for it. And that's just like scratching the surface of all the shit that's going on with this. I also want to remind our listenership, a lot of the things you hear outside of conservative media is that this is a Trump-appointed U.S. attorney. And I want to remind everybody that even though this is probably a conservative-leaning attorney, you have to be confirmed, essentially, by the senators from that state. So when you talk about the senators who represent the state of Delaware, they are obviously not... (laughs) conservative senators they're both democrats so this person was like probably the most moderate conservative and had had rulings in the past that had favored both parties for him to get confirmed there now they're never going to tell you who we voted for in elections but i'm just saying even though he was trump appointed he was appointed to the u.s attorney position in delaware during the trump presidency that's the only reason why that tag bears that name so don't Mm -hmm. let anybody think that this is like you know, a U.S. attorney that's operating like in the heart of the reddest state in the United States, and that's the way all of his rulings historically have gone because nothing could be further from the truth. You guys have uh, tracked this with us here, team, over the course of the last month. We we did think it was a little bit grandstandish at first, but then the Hunter Biden ruling came down, and it was such a slap in the face of the American people. Literally within 24 hours of this ruling coming out, Hunter Biden sat 100 feet away from the U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland at a state dinner for the Prime Minister of India. It is like levels of disgrace and just rubbing it in our face. Like the Bidens are literally walking around like the Teflon Don and Tony Soprano right now thinking that regardless of what happens or what they do, their behaviors will never be held to account. What do you guys think? Yeah, they just think that they're so above the law now at this point. There's just no sense hiding it anymore. They're just going to go for it. And they're going to troll us and rub it in our face, gaslight the public. Oh, gaslighting. That's their number one -hmm. one skill. I'm not going to answer that question. Have a great weekend, guys. Yeah. (laughs) You can't say fuck you any nicer. Yeah. It's just, it's wild. Per my last comment. Have a nice weekend. They are the per my last email administration. Kevin McCarthy was sitting on the couch next to Jim Jordan during that interview. Right before they cut, he had some commentary. Let's hear him. If we find that Garland has lied to Congress, we will start impeachment inquiry. But you have to understand what we found out. First of all, I've got to thank these three chairmen. What Jim Jordan, what Comer has done, what Jason Smith has done, we wouldn't know any of this if we didn't win the majority. We would not know any of this if we didn't start the weaponization committee that Jim Jordan runs over. There are people now that are lying. And think of what transpired. They let the statute of limitation run out. Six years. These are the most serious allegations that he would get prosecuted over. But also remember, this is the timeline when his father was serving as vice president. 
And, and you got to remember, over the course of these alleged crimes, and a lot of them are tax-related, when you look historically at peace, people who have went to jail for, for like tax evasion-related crimes, some of the biggest mobsters, government officials, et cetera, throughout the course of our nation's history, it's usually what nails them when all of the other crimes they committed mm-hmm. fail. You're yeah. seeing Hunter Biden use things like he took tax breaks literally on hard narcotics and prostitution as business expenses. Unbelievable. He employed an international (laughs) escort service as a business expense. Well, I mean, there's probably a lot of corporations that do that. Stop it. (laughs) (laughs) These crimes were committed not only during the course of Joe Biden's time as a senator and the vice president, but in his time as a public, uh, basically just a civilian as well, in between when he left the Obama administration when he was supposedly elected president in 2020. So there are so many different laws and statutes and regulations that they need to go through and timelines. And, you know, we're going to hear from the IRS whistleblower right now as he these roadblocks that they set up were not only legitimate, but it was just absolutely wild that this investigation went on for the greater part of almost five years. And what they got to as a disposition was Hunter Biden getting a slap on the wrist. Let's hear it. When when prosecutors don't allow you to put the subject's name on document requests, Run or on search warrants, then you know it raises the possibility that there's more information out there we didn't find. But um, but based on all of the financial records that we did find, you know they've been they've been analyzed. And it was around 8.3 million he received from who? They came from from China, from CEFC, came from Ukraine, and from Romania. And um, you know even even the Burisma money and and, and it's kind of a aspect that we didn't get into but um the 2014 and 2015 tax years when the burisma money was coming in mm. i mean to this day um um there's still around four hundred thousand dollars of unreported income yeah. from burisma in 2014 hunter biden was told by his partner eric schwerin that he needed to amend his returns and he never did so dc u.s attorney's office declining those charges David Weiss requesting special counsel authority and being denied. And then the statute of limitations then expires in November, December of 2022. So those years are gone. And there's no way to recoup the, 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 the money from that Burisma income. $80,000 a month Hunter Biden was getting from Burisma. They say the amount of money he took in in totality was over $400,000 that was unreported and never taxed here in the United Jeez. States. Wow. And you mentioned some of the countries there. Ukraine, obviously, that's when he was doing stuff with the energy board there in Burisma. Romania, uh, when Joe Biden was vice president, and now it's come to light that Joe Biden had a burner phone when, when he was vice president as well, uh, which is completely illegal, uh, goes outside of the law and the scope of, of the title of his office that he held when he was the vice president as well. You're not allowed to have that. That's like essentially having a mobile Hillary Clinton bathroom <laughs> server uh, while he was the vice president of the United States. I also want to bring up, you know, Joe Biden and and his relationship with the CCP, which I think they're going to get into a lot. Do you guys realize that Joe Biden has met with high-ranking CCP officials, including Xi Jinping, 68 times throughout the course of his uh, service to the United States? Is that out of the ordinary? He also took a family vacation there in the last year of Barack Obama's last presidency, a family trip to Beijing 
where uh, yeah and they were already getting money and, and and there were allegations being made of of mispractice of Joe Biden using his office for basically pay for play um, wow. yeah when they took a family vacation they're completely normal you go to you know it's one of our biggest geopolitical rivals and and the relationship was nowhere good at the time it wasn't as good as it was when Donald Trump was you know eating dinner in the forbidden city uh, mm-hmm. and and Joe Biden takes the family there to uh, sightsee the great wall and uh, get lost <laughs> in public okay. insanity it's it's crazy. And then Russia, you know, th- there's a lot of stuff that went on with Russia. We got to remember the former mayor's widow uh, gave Hunter Biden like a 3.5 carat diamond as a payment for something. Even if it was a gift, it still needs to be taxed if it exchanged hands. And then you're talking about all these FARA violations that could have gone down and, and, and the timelines that they need to set up. It's just you can't if this was Donald Trump and his kids. Oh, they'd be wiping the floor with this right now. They'd be setting up the gallows outside of the Capitol for reals this time. And, and, you know, to, to imagine how much money we wasted the tens of millions of dollars on investigation and impeachment inquiries into Donald Trump and to his children. Um, I mean, we all know people like Jared Kushner made tons of money throughout the course of his presidency, and I'm sure Ivanka wasn't complaining about it, but that's nowhere near what's going on now. Um, and, and, those people are extremely qualified for the work that they do when you talk about international business between Donald Trump's nice. daughter and and his uh, son-in-law. Not like Hunter Biden, who was literally booted out of the military and then picked up a career in drug dealing <laughs> and, and throwing guns into garbage cans inside of school zones <laughs> as, as his career. It's a good career. Man. Wow, wow. You know what's good is this show. So if you're listening today on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or iHeart, make sure you're subscribed to the show Definitely helps us out in the algorithm. Definitely helps us out in the downloads. Rate the show five stars. Leave a review. We love them. And then social media is Twitter, Getter, Truth Social, Instagram. Find the Steak for Breakfast podcast. Make sure you follow us and hit the notification bell. We're going to be sitting down with supply chain expert, one of our great friends, Jim Nels, in just a bit. But before we do that, we got to do tail of the tape. I saw yesterday on the news, uh, Noah, you know him best as 6'2", 275, African-American. Ain't scared of shit. Byron Donald sat down with Jesse Waters and was talking about this. Let's hear it. Well, even as this information has been coming out, oversight has been hard on the case led by James Comer. We've been tracking this information down, trying to get it down. We've also been bringing people in um, and actually interviewing them under oath to get a full picture of what's actually occurred with Joe Biden and his son and his brother, Jim. And let's not leave out Jim. I know he's not a crackhead, but Jim <laughs> Biden's involved in this as well. Um, we've been getting down to exactly what's going on, and we're going to present our case to the American people. We believe it's very compelling now, but we know how the press is and we know how the Democrats are. We want to make sure you have all the information so the American people can finally make their their full decision on Joe Biden, which means, in my view, personally, he shouldn't be nowhere near the White House. So it looks like House Oversight and and the Judiciary Committee are really going to get into this right now. Do you guys think I want... And here's another thing. The big theme that's been going across all of the progressive news outlets, MSNBC, CNN, CBS, the fucking view. I mean, you guys have all heard by now the clip of Anna Navarro talking about this is a story of a father's love and helping his son through recovery be a successful and productive citizen. That's literally the take that these networks are going off of right now with all this shit. And and you want to know, Hunter Biden didn't know. Hunter Biden didn't know that you needed to register for the foreign agents. And Hunter Biden didn't know this, that, and the other thing. Meanwhile, Hunter Biden is flying on the American taxpayer dollars while he's Barack Obama's vice president on Air Force Two to Romania, to Ukraine, to China, to basically strong arm all these friggin' 
business people that they're dealing with to basically pay them for access to the White House and for policy direction. I wonder how much uh, uh, official travel he was using drugs and or imagine what he child was child prostitution. And will we ever get to the bottom of it and see those receipts? Who knows? I mean, just the allegations now that he was using uh, business expenses to identify things related to drugs and to, you know, an escort service, which essentially is a prostitution outlet, mm-hmm. uh, is just kind of wild to me. And, you know, do you guys think this is the way the administrative state pushes back on Joe Biden's reluctance to get out of the race in 2024? Mm. I, I think they're just going to. They're gonna just torpedo him. Yeah, I don't. I don't think he wants to get out of the race. I don't think he's trying to find an out. I think they're just gonna roll over on him. I think so too. I mean, that's been my prediction for months. I mean, just look at everything that's going on and like how they allow him to just completely. So you <laughs> think they're, they're gonna himself. they're gonna try and tie Hunter Biden like a millstone around Joe Biden to get him out of this race? Yeah, I, th- I think so in a way because they they've got someone else. And for some reason, I don't know. I'm just throwing this out there. I feel like Michelle Obama might come in. Everybody keeps saying that, but I'm going to say I'm, I'm Gavin Newsom, Newsom, Newsom yeah. from day one. Yeah, Newsom too. For but I don't know. Like, what, what, the thing is, is that Newsom's already in like a, a high level government position. His ties to the administrative state. I mean, it's Nancy Pelosi's son-in-law, uh, mm-hmm. and he already speaks on the levels of climate change and progressive mm-hmm. politics. All of that, you know, DEI shit that we can't stand. That yeah. is what they want to run on. That is how they bankrupt this country and make us, you know, like a a Western Hemisphere version of the EU, which is what they, they basically want. They want a one-world government and just a big fucking party for all the progressives. Not for sure. We've been talking about the men behind it. We've heard from Donalds. We've heard from McCarthy and, and Jim Jordan. We're going to, before we jump on with Jim Nels here, one more. Jim, Jim Comer was on and... Uh, he was on the news last night and he was talking about some of the stuff, you know, we've, we're hearing the allegations of dollar amounts now, you know, going higher than the, than the $40 million and, and just the amount of things that are going wrong. He's looking for something other than Joe Biden getting out of the race. Let's hear it. Of, of, of traitorous behavior. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you, if you're taking money for the benefit of an adversarial nation, um, you know, first, my question is, what what crime specifically is that? What is the charge for that? There better be something for that because that is a, a despicable and highly unethical act. Well, first of all, they're an unregistered foreign agent because they're clearly serving as essentially a lobbyist for China. And that's a that's a huge violation. That was one of the things the IRS whistleblower said that the Bidens could have been uh, prosecuted on, especially the president's son was being an unregistered foreign agent. Uh, then you 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 have potential bribery, you have potential uh, wire fraud because none of this was being reported. You have money laundering because they China didn't send the money directly to the Bidens. They laundered it through a bunch of shell companies. That's called racketeering. The charges go on and on and on. That's why it's so insulting but if that it, the U.S. But if attorney didn't do anything to Hunter Biden. If, if you're the president uh, and you're making policy decisions to benefit an adversary of the United States, there has to be a, a higher crime absolutely. than bribery, than potentially bribery. Well, I mean, it, it borders on treason, in my opinion. Joe Biden's not been honest about this. He won't explain what his family did to get the millions and millions of dollars. We're having to rely on interviews we've conducted with former associates. Now we're in yeah. the deposition phase of this, of this investigation, so people are going to come in and have an opportunity under oath to tell the world exactly 
what the Bidens were doing to receive all this money and what role Joe played in it. And that's very important yeah. because Joe's always said he had no knowledge of it. Which, and I think the lot. American people are fixing to get an, an eye-opening experience as to what Joe was doing to help receive this money. It, it's so much. Mm. It's straight up treason. We all know it, too. Borderline treason. <laughs> we on. also all know it never gets to that level. No. I also yeah. think the more time that passes, Joe Biden eventually continues to work down the path of getting a pass due to current mental health and ability. I, I think yeah. if this is the way that they're going to rid themselves of Joe Biden, let's just say from the next election cycle, this is the easiest out. And they'll talk about mental deterioration and how fast it's a, it's a slippery slope once it did. I mean, right. it's already, there's so many well-documented instances of it. Well, they're going to say, you know, they're going to, they're going to try to save face at least. They're going to say that he's been fine up until this point, but now, right. now yeah. he's deteriorating mentally. Just like in all the other big Rigo cases, that's when they wheel him in to yeah. give his testimony with the blanket yeah. over his knees <laughs> and the air tubes up his nose. And just gonna say that—that's so funny. Oh, I was thinking it's... about the Ricos and like, <laughs> oh man, same playbook yeah. everywhere. The thing is, though, is that we're up against the clock. Uh, they've got essentially, I would say, three to four months before it starts to negatively affect the Democrats' chances in the 2024 presidential election because Joe Biden's going to ride the wave of endless money and all of the guest appearances he'll have on the road if they don't. So they need to really start working on getting those depositions on record and then seeing mm -hmm. what kind of a case they really have. And yeah. they need to make a decision, too. Uh, I, I think the more people you try to go after... I think that at some point they need to make a decision. If Joe Biden uses office for pay by play, pay for play, if Joe Biden violated uh, fair rules with his family members, if Joe Biden did these things and was knowing of it, then he needs mm -hmm. to be held accountable. And I think Hunter Biden is something maybe we go after later or, or just, you know, take a mulligan on it. Because the fact of the matter is what purpose does doing anything to Hunter Biden really serve other than memes on the internet? It does nothing. So for as big as an absolute subhuman that guy is, we've already saw the attorney general of the United States just let him off the hook. So that's kind of where we are with that. And, you know, we'll see what happens over the weekend. I'm sure everybody's going to be providing commentary and who knows what could happen between now and Tuesday. But we'll keep tracking on this one. We're getting ready to jump in with Jim Nels. But before we do, let's hear from one of our partners. I think it's time we had a conversation about a good night's sleep. Pillow King of Minnesota, Mike Lindell, and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family has been cranking out savings down at MyPillow for over 20 years and for the first time in 20 years they've changed the long-standing my pillow and now have the my pillow version 2.0 you enter promo code stake at checkout you're going to get buy one get one free in addition to that they've got great savings on all things like my pillow dog beds the air lindell version one and two my slippers and giza dream everything if you're more of a morning person they've launched my coffee it's available in the bean the bag and the pod when you need a promo code stake here you're going to get 25 percent off your order or 50 percent off when you make it a monthly subscription MyPillow.com forward slash steak for anything sleep related. If you want the coffee, MyStore.com forward slash steak. Or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative. 1-800-658-8045. All right, joining us next on the show today, he is a political and economic commentator. He's also a supply chain expert, one of our great friends, especially when he's providing commentary on steak for breakfast. Mr. Jim Nels, thanks for joining us. Good afternoon, gentlemen. How are you? Well, we're doing lovely out here in... Uh, well, this week it's sweltering Southern California. Last week it was cloudy Southern California. But Are you still getting the sewage up from Tijuana or did that thing abate? That never stops. Yeah, we're nearly uh, 600 days since that portion of the uh, San Diego beaches have been closed. Oh, you mean in the ocean? Yeah, the Tijuana River that's spewaging. No, we're not talking about the border crisis. We're talking about the border spewage. 
So, yeah, always a disaster down here. And, and now that we've got, you know, Gavin Newsom trying to run at a national level and a new shittier Democrat mayor than we had before, it's just been as bad as it's always been in America's crappiest city. I think the people in Chicago would argue that point with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we're winning that race right now. But uh, unfortunately, it's a race to the bottom, not a race to the top. Yeah, you guys definitely beat us in the uh, gun-free zones. It's definitely working out for Chicago a lot better as well. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I feel like you can probably acquire a gun even easier in that gun-free zone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, Jim, we had a big week from the Supreme Court. We've seen uh, the three additions that President Trump was able to make to the bench during the course of his presidency, factoring huge into the rulings that have come down the pike. Let's talk about the UNC and Harvard affirmative action case first. What do you think? Uh, I'm really happy that it happened. Uh, Unfortunately, it happened a little bit too late for my kids, so they had to suffer on the backside of of that. But, uh, you know, I I think it's a really smart decision for, for two reasons. One is the, the fact that people are arguing that people of color cannot get into college because of their race and need to be let into places where they may not be qualified to go is, is, is in and of itself a racist argument. So it's, it's the racism of low expectations for, for these, these folks. The second thing is, if you look at it statistically, a large number of especially black students fail out of college their first year oftentimes because they're put in situations where they can't be successful and they would be much better off going to a different university where they can learn at a a different pace and not have to compete with somebody at Harvard. Now, I know that that in and of itself may sound racist, but the statistics speak speak for themselves. But net net, I just think everyone should be judged on their merits and not the color of their skin. I think there was a guy back in the 60s who talked like that. and He was pretty popular and had some really good ideas. What's his name? I can't remember off the top of my head. Yes, uh, Martin Luther King Jr., I believe it was. He definitely had a dream. He's and, got a couple streets. Yeah, there you go. You know, when they do name streets after him, though, they kind of give him the, the finger by never putting Jr. on the name of the street. True story. Kind of no, I, I think I, I like what you're saying, Jim. You know, when you talk about this stuff and, and just some of the contributing factors over the course of the last decade that have peaked coming out of the COVID pandemic with the you know, school lockdowns and distance learning, well, distance non-learning that happened for, you know, two years in some states, like out here in California. You want to talk about a large amount of people that are of high school age not meeting math, English, and reading uh, graduation statistics anymore. School districts in places like California, Washington, and Oregon that are dropping standardized testing to test out of high school and just completely saying, like, if you show up, well, maybe even if you don't show up, you still pass. And, uh, you know, colleges using this affirmative action clause where basically, like, test scores get thrown out. One of the ones that sticks out in my head is the kid that wrote, like, Black Lives Matter to cover a whole sheet of paper, handwritten, and, and sent it to Stanford and got in over a kid with, like, a over five GPA because... They wanted to make a statement about it. It just doesn't work that way in the real world. If you go to, you know, a regular high school and graduate with average grades, you shouldn't be going to Harvard. You should be going to community college and then whatever school you can go to after you get, you know, your grades taken care of. And the people that, you know, are exceptional should be going to the Ivy League schools and all of these private universities where, you know, they'll be able to excel. Listen, it's not even easy for the kids who are smart necessarily, uh, but the fact of the matter is, this ruling is something that I hope spills over into the workforce, especially at the federal level. What do you think is going to happen in regards to that? Because the current administration has done an amazing job of, of ruining so many federal agencies with the diversity, equity, and inclusion hires. 
Yeah, so let, there's a lot to unpack in that, that little rant there. So let me do a few things. So the interesting thing about what's happening in Chicago right now is graduation rates in Chicago's high schools are at all-time highs, but reading and math achievement are at all-time lows. So yep. I, I can't quite square that circle. <laughs> um, you know, when it, when it, the other thing that I find very interesting is my daughter's university, uh, immediately upon the ruling coming down from the Supreme Court, sent emails to all of the parents basically saying that they will find a way to work around the, the law and that they will use essays and they will find ways to identify what they called underrepresented communities and bring them into the, into the school. Uh, Biden said pretty much the same thing yesterday. He actually directed the Department of Education, which really shouldn't exist, right. to seek ways to circumvent that law uh, and circumvent the Supreme Court. When it comes to DEI and the federal system, um, Biden got away with something about a month, a month and a half ago that not a lot of people noticed. He instructed every federal agency to include DEI and climate change into their mission. Now, I'd really like to understand what, what role climate change plays for the CIA when they're, when they're trying to stop terrorists from attacking us. And then the DEI, I guess that's how they justify um, going after the white supremacists, the so-called white supremacists in the military, so that they can uh, root out that part of DEI and not just be going after folks that like to blow us up. So, Jim, when, when you see, just based off of what you said, and when you look at the dynamic of the Supreme Court now, and you see, uh, you know, battling statements from people like Clarence Thomas on one side, who basically lays it out there for as it is, like, this is disgusting, this isn't what our country was founded on, this is what we're trying to get away from, and now, you know, places like major universities are promoting it, and then you have Katanji Brown, who's out there saying, like, you know, this is... The return to slavery we all knew was coming and and just how far you know clarence thomas went through the absolute grinder getting to the bench and and you know kentangi brown basically is the dei hire of the supreme court yeah and, you know this this ruling like speaks volumes for for her character and resume which was shoddy at best what do, what do you think when you, when you look at that comparison right now even though it was you know a 6-3 decision how much does it say like the Supreme Court has a lot of work to do, even though the rulings are going in our favors to, uh, you know, working out some of these decisions that are coming out across the country. Well, it, it always surprises me, and, and it shouldn't, but it does, how political the court is when it comes to which justice was appointed by which presidents um, or nominated by which president. Uh, you, 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 and the interesting part is that those that got onto the bench under Republicans' um, tenure tend to vote for the Constitution, even when it means going against the the wishes of Republicans. Democrats, just like in Congress, they line up and they do exactly what they're expected to do. So I wasn't surprised that Katenji Brown or Jackson or whatever the right pronunciation of her name is. I mean, the woman can't even define what a woman is, Correct. let alone can interpret the Constitution. How dare she actually, you? in her um, in her dissent, she cited incorrect facts and statistics, which I found hilarious, and she got called out for that. But you know, Clarence Thomas, he was the black face of white supremacy before Larry Elder was. And that, that guy has been through the grinder over and over again. And it actually started with our current president, Joe Biden, when he was on the uh, the committee that was trying to decide whether or not to present him to the Senate. So I'm not surprised, but I'm always I, 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 I shouldn't be surprised, but I always am that these Supreme Court justices don't just look at the Constitution and rule based on that. But it becomes as political as it does. 
All right, Jim, when we talk about some of these other rulings, I think the other most important one, especially in the wallets for all of us, even though they are going to find out other ways for us to pay for it, was the ruling on the student loan forgiveness. Uh, it was ruled unconstitutional, essentially. And, and basically, when they tried to tie it into things like the HEROES Act, which uh, allowed for student loans not to default when people were running off to fight terrorism in the wake of 9-11, Joe Biden's kind of run out of options here. He's never going to get it through Congress, especially with the slim margins we have. So what do you think happens uh, as we head into the summer, moving to, towards September, when all of these loans are going to be come up for repayment again? Well, if, you, if Twitter's any indicator, a lot of people just aren't going to start paying their loans back. Perfect. Uh, they're already saying that now, that they're just going to not do it. And it'll be great when those people then can't get a loan to get a house or a car because they'll then be screaming that it's discrimination against people who didn't pay their bills. Um, Biden is going to make this a, a big campaign issue. You can you can see it coming now that he's going to run on. I tried to give you free college and these evil Republicans and these mega MAGA people just didn't let it happen. So that's going to be a big point of contention for him. But if you look at this from the face of it, it's one of the sickest things that you can do. Now, first of all, you know, I don't know about you guys, but I've taken out loans to buy a house, to buy a car, whatever. You have to sign your name like 300 times. Yes. And they tell you every time, okay, every month you have to pay this much. And you sign right there. Then it's like, are you sure you want this? Yes, sign right there that you really want it. And for folks to come back and say, hey, I, I didn't know that I was going to have to actually pay this back. Or it's a lot more expensive than it was. Well, maybe you shouldn't have majored in gender studies and gotten a C average and become a barista with a college degree. I'm sorry, but plumbers should not be paying for lawyers to go to school. No. Right? It just shouldn't happen that way. And look at someone like me, right? I went to college on a Navy ROTC scholarship. I had to go get shot at in order to go to college. <laughs> and the fact that people are now complaining about having to pay back a loan, I don't feel sorry for you one bit. And you know what? No. And Joe Biden, nothing is free, you idiot. It costs somebody something. There is no such thing as free. Well, it seems like you like getting shot at so much. And, you know, you went and got, well, you signed your life away to get a home loan in Chicago. So it's like <laughs> not much changed from you getting out of the Navy and going in and, and where you reside currently up Damn. there. Hey, man, you know, I love being part of the Chicago apparatus. And I just think that it's a wonderful thing to uh, be here to get shot at. I'm really good at that. Um, you know, bobbing and weaving and running in zigzag patterns these days. Oh, so gosh. It's pretty fun. <laughs> we pray for you every day, Jim. Listen, one last thing I want to touch on. You got a new article out. It's in American Greatness right now. Uh, it came out today, and, and it goes back to the root causes of just about all of us because at some point we were all fetuses, and you are extremely thankful that you were. Let's talk about your uh, latest. Yeah, so I, I wrote an article in American Greatness called, um, as a former fetus, I'm very grateful that I wasn't aborted. Uh, and so, Mom, thank you very much for, for going through with the full pregnancy. And it, you know, the, the article kind of talks about a little bit my, my evolution and thinking on this. When I, was, when I was growing up, never really thought much about it. Um, and I was pretty much a pro-choice person. Let everyone live their own lives, do their own thing. Up until the point where I came home from a Steely Dan concert and saw a positive pregnancy test on the bathroom, and um, my wife was my then wife was pregnant with our son, and at that moment in time, I would have died. I would have taken, like we said, a bullet in order to make sure that that she and the and the, and the unborn baby got to go through full term. When the doctors asked us if we wanted to do the uh, the, the the test, the MEO test of the, of the fluid to see if everything was going to be normal with the baby. We were like, no, why would we even bother wanting to do that? So I've really become a very pro-life person. Makes it kind of hard to date in Chicago these days being a <laughs> pro-life person, but that's okay. 
And the other interesting thing that I discovered in researching the article is that, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the champion of the left, really was not a big fan of the Roe v. Wade decision. She thought that it was a bad decision. It was bad legal precedent. And she actually thought that a case where she was trying about a uh, an Air Force woman who got pregnant during the Vietnam War, she was given a choice of terminating the pregnancy or leaving the Air Force. Mm. And the Supreme Court had agreed to hear the, the case because the woman wanted to keep the baby and keep her job. And eventually the Air Force let her stay in. But think about this. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the champion of the left, w- wished that a case about a woman wanted to keep her baby would have been what was used uh, to set the, the thing for, for um, women's rights and the ability for women to govern their own bodies. Not very many people know that. And I think if the left understood that, they might take a little bit different view of both Ruth Bader Ginsburg as well as the right to life. No, that's one of the big uh, talking points that people make when they talk about the relationship that her and, and Justice Thomas had. It was cases like that where they saw eye to eye, and, and that's where their kind of friendship over the course of the years blossomed out of. And, Jimmy, you just got to play a little bait and switch. You say it's hard finding, you know, dates in Chicago saying you're pro-life. You got to just say pro-something and then say, oh, you said pro-life? I, I thought I thought you said pronouns. I thought you said I was a pronouns person. And well, I'm very pro-pronouns. I mean, my, my pronouns are the periodic table. That's my list of, of preferred pronouns. So, uh, yeah, maybe I just need to change up my change my game here a little bit. Hey, listen, you got to change anything when you come on the show, sir. We're going to live link your uh, latest article in the show description today and your Twitter handle. Why don't you let our listenership know where they could watch you on OAN every week? So every Friday at 9 o'clock Eastern, I am on Tipping Point with Kara McKinney, where I do a wrap-up of the week's stupid news called Everything is Stupid. And this week, we're coming in on fire, talking about how Governor Kathy Hochul wants to mutilate children and not tell their parents that it's happening. In fact, she's declared New York as a safe haven for children who want to run away from home and have, quote-unquote, gender-affirming care, or as I like to call it, genital mutilation. We'll also be talking about New York City, where... The big problem in New York City is no longer crime, it's no longer homelessness, it's no longer drugs, it's pizza ovens. So join us tonight at 9 o'clock Eastern on OAN, Tipping Point with Kara McKinney, because, quite frankly, everything is stupid. It sounds like anti-Italian discrimination to me. (laughs) We'll have to get DeSantis on it. Mm, We're going to have to find a Sopranos clip for the end of the show now. Listen, this is one of our favorite supply chain experts. He's going to be in studio next week, and Karen McKinney's going to be on the show next Friday as well. Mr. Jim Nels, thanks for joining us on the show. Thanks, guys. Have a great weekend. I was just thinking, uh, uh, the, anyway, I started off without you. And I sold a lot of state secrets and a lot of very important things that we shared. Here in Washington, the White House today announced that President Biden is using a device for his sleep apnea. An official said the president has been using a CPAP machine, which stands for continuous positive airway pressure, in order to help improve his breathing during sleep. The information came after reporters noticed these indentations on the president's face this morning caused by the apparatus. According to the American Medical Association, about 30 million Americans suffer from sleep apnea. It's hard to tell, but he's clearly losing the war in Iraq. He's losing the war at home. And he has uh, become a bit of a fly around the world. Uh, and it's not just NATO. It's not just the European Union. It's Japan. It's, it's you know, it's 40 I believe ordinary people are decent and honorable. If you appeal to them, they'll do the right thing. And I think that's... And the other thing is, Nicole, 
you know, there's a lot of good that's happening. For example, 60-some percent of the American people have greater job satisfaction than they've had in the high, what, 15th or whatever the number is, mm -hmm. 30 years. I know the polling numbers are not, not good, but they were the same way when I ran and won. Everybody thought I was going to get clobbered in a primary. I got 80 million votes. Well, that was the uh, rest of the week that was for Joe Biden. As you could tell, it was an absolute dumpster fire, to say the least. Apparently, he's now hooked up to a CPAP machine at night. What do you think about that one? Yeah, that's weird. I mean, yeah. was he waking up directly before they rolled him out on stage? Because, <laughs> like, I mean, how long does do those marks stay on your face? Did you see how indented his face was? I mean, maybe just like he's old and his face is squishy. I guess I could see that. He's like a 3% body fatter. Yeah. Yeah. He's a disaster. And are they doing, are they, are they saying that it's a CPAP machine, but really they're like, does he need oxygen? Is he, is he literally the, <laughs> the Rico Sopranos character? <laughs> oh, you're talking about uncle June. Yeah. I already sent you a Sopranos clip to use at the end of the show. It's going to nice. be glorious. And, and so fitting for, it, it's so weird how 20 years ago they were talking about the, and bitching about the same things we're complaining about and providing commentary for on the show today. <laughs> so the meme came to life. I don't know if you guys saw it. Bidenomics is now one of the re-election pillars that Joe Biden is going to be using in his attempt to. They don't, don't have anything else that they can grab onto, I guess. Retain ownership of the White House. What do you mean? That he could always touch on all of his geopolitical victories. Remember, we're beating Putin in Iraq right now, as he clearly <laughs> stated right there. I mean, that was a close one. <sighs> in Iraq. <laughs> I, oh, my gosh. It, it's almost. I don't think you can deny the fact that he's going to not be the nominee in 2024. And if he is, they really are going to have to rig and steal at this time because mm -hmm. him just saying like, who cares? I got 81 million votes. Like, come on, man. He probably believes it though. That's the thing. Pretty I mean, cause they're not going to tell him that. I mean, at a certain point in his career when he was the most corrupt, I appreciate you not saying that I'm corrupt. <laughs> <laughs> but during the, the height of his corruption, yes, he probably knew about all the corruption that's going on. But right now sure. when it's the Biden cheerleaders blowing smoke up his ass. Hey, Jack, listen. They're literally telling him that he's doing a good job. It, it's it's <laughs> every person in a rest home you've ever seen. You're doing a really it's good job. Bad. No refunds. Francis. Skoda said it. <laughs> They're Robinette. Well, I, like I said, Bidenomics has been a meme now for just about two years, and, and they actually rolled it out on the campaign trail. He was speaking <laughs> in Chicago on it this week. Let's hear him. Hollowed out. I mean, literally hollowed out. All over the country, parents have to say to the many of you, all elected officials, heard people tell you this, had to say to their children, honey, I lost my job. We can't live here anymore. we got to move. Trickle down also meant slashing public investment on things that help drive long-term growth and help America lead the world in innovation. We used to invest 2% of our gross domestic product in research and development. By the time I came to office, that was down to 0.7%. We used to be number one in the world in research and development. That's what we're known for. Now we rank number nine in the world. China decades ago was number eight in the world. Now it's number two in the world, and other nations are closing in fast. 
We used to have the best infrastructure in the world, roads, bridges, etc. But then we fell to third, rated 13th best inter- say, uh, uh, um, oh. investment in infrastructure. <laughs> Two to 13. How can you have the best economy in the world without the best infrastructure in the world? How do you get product from one place to another? I was out in Pittsburgh recently, the city of bridges. Bridges collapsing all over the nation. You've seen on television, railroad bridges collapsing. Bidenomics, we're turning this around. We're supporting targeted investments. We're strengthening America's economic security, our national security, our energy security, and our climate security. I designed and we signed a bipartisan infrastructure law. It's already announced, and I heard some of the speakers before touting some of it. It's already announced 35,000 projects across the country. Think of it this way. Nearly a century ago, Franklin Roosevelt's Rural Electrification Act, Rural Electrification, brought electricity to millions of Americans in rural America. 70 years ago, Dwight Eisenhower launched the interstate highway system, the largest infrastructure project to date in history. That's what the bipartisan infrastructure law does. I got nothing. I got something. So over the course (laughs) and throughout the growth or lack thereof of Bidenomics, from the start of his presidency through May 2023, that's what we're going with. National inflation is still sitting at nearly 14% of what it was during the Trump administration. Bidenomics. The national average is at 4%, but if you live on either one of the coasts, you can quadruple that. Credit card debt is over a trillion dollars nationally for the first time ever and is up 28% since when Donald Trump turned over the Oval Office to Joe Biden. Hourly earnings are down nearly 3.5% from when Donald Trump was in office. Home sales, down 34% under Joe Biden, unless you have a really bad credit score. Uh And Americans living paycheck to paycheck, which was in the low to mid-30s prior to the COVID pandemic, now sits at nearly 60%. 57% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck and have less than $4,000 in their savings accounts. Wow. Wow, wow. You know what else? You guys talk about fact checks all the time for the shit that Joe Biden says. You know which one gets fact-checked every single time? That mm-hmm. that uh, bar graph that he always puts up of being the greatest jobs president in the history of the universe? Mm-hmm. N- now the community notes fact-check just says 90% of the jobs that Joe Biden says he created throughout the course of the nearly three years of his presidency so We're far. Were returning jobs from, from lockdowns. Co- from lockdowns and COVID. And, and really? th- that the national average of, of jobs that Joe Biden actually created was something that we have been saying on the show. It's just right around 2 million jobs. That's it. So stupid. Which is a monthly average of around, it's in the 40s, 40,000 jobs a month that that this government is creating when when Donald Trump was creating hundreds of thousands of jobs prior to COVID. Unbelievable. No, I was just saying, even during COVID, the economy was still, I mean, booming compared to what it is now. Sure, for big businesses it was. That, That helped catapult our economy globally back into as good as it was with inflation around 1% and Americans making money again, uh, you know, post-pandemic. So, And when you go back to that that clip of, of Biden talking, I don't remember all the things I wanted to address, but one of them, he's talking about, like, transporting goods. Well, your bullshit green fucking policies in California, one of the largest port areas of the world, like Long Beach Seaport, you've literally just 
ransacked the trucking business by outlawing the owner operators from from being able to do the job. Correct. It's like so you're going to say that like productivity and transporting goods across the United States is down. That's your fault. Mm-hmm. But regulations. Yeah. But my regulations. Well, we're going to be heading out on the campaign trail, and, and it's, believe it or not, going to stick with Joe Biden. He did an exclusive one-on-one interview with resident racist over at MSNBC, not Joey Reid, Nicole Wallace yesterday. Mm-hmm. And, uh, man, it was an absolutely titillating event. Not only did Joe Biden get up from his seat across the desk from her before <laughs> they cut to a commercial at the end and just left, she actually had to stop him to shake his hand. Instead of touching on anything relevant to what's going on in the news cycle now or any of the Joe Biden investigations into him and his family, they wanted to talk about why it took so long to prosecute January 6th families. And since the Supreme Court isn't ruling in favor of radical progressives, how does Joe Biden feel about court reform and packing the Supreme Court? Just an absolute shit show of an interview. Uh, Let's hear a part of it where they're talking about the Supreme Court rulings. This is very exciting for us. Exciting for me. (laughs) You said today, um, and I I know that you have a lot of power, but I can't imagine you manufactured the breaking news about the court. You said this court is not normal. What did you mean? What I meant by that is it's done more to unravel basic rights and basic decisions than any court in recent history. And uh, that's what I meant by not normal. It's, it's, it's gone out of its way to, I mean, for example, take a look at overruling Roe v. Wade. Take a look at what the decision today. Take a look at how it's, uh, how it's ruled on a number of issues that are, have been precedent for 50, 60 years sometimes. And that's what I meant by not normal. I don't even know what that means or where to no. go with it. Mm-mm. I don't either. Not normal. <laughs> Listen here, Jack. <laughs> like, said, I'm just waiting for that every time. They said, it, they said no refunds. Yeah. Ugh. I'm not playing around. I'm being serious. Let's get away from Joe Biden. Look, please. Like, as I a country. I, I can't take it anymore. <laughs> as, as a country, please. Oh, I, I, I didn't say it was going to get any better. Uh, it's been brutal on the campaign trail recently. <sighs> but wherever you're listening to the show today, whether it's on Apple, Spotify, iHeart, or Google Podcasts, make sure you're subscribed. And make sure you're leaving a five-star review for the podcast. It really helps us out. In addition, all of our social medias, Twitter, Getter, True Social, Instagram, find the Steak for Breakfast podcast accounts, follow, and hit the notification bell. Well, I don't know if you guys had heard, but Paul Ryan's out providing commentary on the uh, current GOP field. You could tell just by my uh, <laughs> excitement that he's probably saying great things about President Trump and all the Amazing things he did with the Trump doctrine throughout the course of his first term in office. Perfect. Hmm. I'm lying. He said it would be an absolute disaster if he wins the White House again. Let's hear it. <laughs> Trump and who the president, who the Republican should run. Yeah, so I, I don't have that job anymore. So I'm very clear with, look, it's a disaster if we nominate Trump. You know, I think that I've been saying this for a long time. But Liz is right, which is he could win. I think we lose with him. I think we're much more likely to lose. We haven't won anything with him since he first won in 16. We lost the House in 18. Your fault. The presidency in 20. The, the Senate in 20. And Mitch we McConnell's could have won fault. the Senate in 2022, but for Are him. you going to endorse him? Is, is Rupert going to tell you who to endorse? <laughs> no, I'm going to endorse whoever I want, but right <laughs> you're now. On the, I'm you're on the board of Fox. That's why I said it. Yeah, yeah. I know. I know. It, it's a joke. I'm for anybody not named Trump right now. Anybody, anybody not named Trump. Him. Anybody not named RFK? Trump? Anybody not named Kennedy? A Republican not named Trump. <laughs> okay. For any Republican not named Trump, because I think we beat Biden for sure. 
if we nominate a Republican, not Nate Trump. Any idea who you think could get the, I mean, I everybody's down by 40 Look, points. <clears throat> we're going to find out. Look, Donald Trump and Joe Biden have a symbiotic relationship with each other. They make the best case for each other's candidacies, and it's a total disaster for our country. In a country of 350 million people, you think That's we the best. Oh, somebody do, else. Do you think you win if you nominate somebody not named Trump? I do. Because you make everybody who was supporting Trump very mad. Yeah, so, like, I'm a never-again Trumper, so obviously that the 33% Trump base doesn't like a person like me because I'm very clear. I don't think he's fit, and I don't think he can win. Wait, he can or can't? Because he just said right. he could. And then at the end, he said he can't. He also <laughs> said they have a symbiotic relationship. So Joe Biden and, and Donald Trump are, are venom? Weird. Like orange? Like <laughs> Would it be like an orange venom? Oh, my word. <laughs> so it, it's that same Trump derangement, anybody but Trump. I'm quoting any, any Republican but Trump. He did Even say- if it's a piece of shit that's awful. And mm-hmm. he said it would be disastrous if we nominate him because he could win. Mm-hmm. Right. So they all know. Be- That's but it's only disastrous out. because he doesn't want him to win. Oh, we know they know. Uh-huh. What did he say? I'm a never again, never Trumper. So yeah, was, I know. <laughs> it's a double negative? Before he won the first presidency, after he won the first presidency, during the first presidency, and now again. Never again. Never again, never. So maybe like when Trump wins, he'd be like, no, no. I said I was a never again, never Trumper. Again. (laughs) Again. Which would be a never Trumper cube. (laughs) Now, here's something that I don't really put too much stock into. A lot of people are talking about Robert Kennedy Jr., who as a person and a family, I have a lot of respect for. I'm sure everybody does. No, same, same. He's definitely raised a lot of concerns with the Democrat Party on the campaign trail that's shown him polling anywhere from double digits into the low 20s, which I think is amazing since the Democrat National Committee is completely shutting him out of everything, including debates. Right. Here's the thing, though. People talking about third parties and unity tickets don't do anything except hurt the cause. I agree. It is really hard to have so many people who us here in America First can think, we've been burned so many times, guys. You know, it's taken this long to get Steve Bannon to kick MTG off of his show forever when we were (laughs) saying it for a greater part of the last year. Maybe even before that, because she's always been cringe. Yeah. You know, I do like the fact that she rides hard for Trump, but now she's just 100% Team McCarthy, and she doesn't give a shit because she wins her, you know, elections by over 60%, so it's going to be impossible to primary her in the near future. And apparently she rides hard in general. Gross. (laughs) Should have garrisoned yourself for that one. (laughs) No. <laughs> there isn't a young congressional staffer up on the hill I heard that's safe. That's just what I heard. I don't know if it's true. Hey, if a bear's hungry, it'll eat. Ugh. Aye, aye, aye. What's up with her feet? She's definitely not on wiki feet. No. No. I've never seen her feet, nor do I want to, and I'm not going to look. I'm kind of scared to see oh. me say it. There you go. <laughs> it, was Damn. A, it was the same thing with people like Steve Cortez and everybody else that's come before them. And I'm not saying Robert Kennedy Jr. can't change. We have to remember he's a Kennedy. He's a lifelong Democrat. He's the Democrats of old, but he also embraces some of those really progressive policies, which scare me when I think about things like my Second Amendment rights, which we all really care about here in America First. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then being part of the radical climate mafia. You know, it's just never going to work out for me if you are going to secretly want to, you know, stroke the egos of the progressive left when it comes to climate change. It's just not a real thing. 
I just feel like he's like, a, like you know, he's like the classical liberal in, in a sense, but maybe he's just playing into and has to kind of go along with some of these bullshit agendas that he knows is bullshit. Absolutely. You know, I, I agree and, with and you. He has no choice because of the party that he's representing at the moment. But here's the thing. He's no idiot. No, he's, he's actually very well educated and, and he's tracked his family's, you know, status in this country for a long time and, and has done really well for himself. But it's becoming an issue not only that people in America first are talking. Listen, we can't have two Tulsi Gabbards in one election cycle. No, if everybody wants to accept her and, and we use Tucker as like the representative who brought her in and he always had her on the show and then she co-hosted every time he was absent before he got kicked off Fox. That's fine. You know, I've asked people who are really close to President Trump more on one occasion. What do you think of her? And they're like, they all say the same thing. And I'm paraphrasing now. I think she's all right, but I just don't know. Well, mm-hmm. that's that's enough of a yeah. concern for me to not let her in. 100%. I mean, if there's any doubt at all, you, you don't know what anybody in your own home, right? for real. I mean, that's like the most basic thing ever. Yeah. And but one of the things we're going to start hearing now is, you know, the the corporate media and, and international press have kind of put Donald Trump on an island, even though he's running away with the GOP primary and pretending he doesn't exist while the rest of the GOP field is the actual race and there's no one that could catch him even if they wanted to. Uh, same thing in reverse on the Democrat side where Joe Biden's going to win the nomination if the Democrats allow him to. And Robert mm-hmm. F. Kennedy Jr., who's more than qualified to be the representative of the Democrat Party in the next elections, doesn't have a snowball's chance in hell uh, of making any headway there just because of the way the the whole superstructure set up. But a lot of people have been asking about this unity ticket thing. They've also been asking both Donald Trump and, and RFK Jr. what they think of each other. You know, he RFK Jr. was extremely critical of Donald Trump just over a year ago. You can go look up the interviews on Twitter or Google and see him shitting on everything from geopolitics to, you know, domestic policy and regulations in regards to, like, climate change and the Second Amendment. But he's turned a corner in regards to that narrative, which was on an interview last night. And as we're getting ready to lead out of the show, we're going to stay in this thread with a couple clips. Let's hear RFK Jr. You say that you're a Democrat, um, but you're getting a lot of support from a, a lot of leading voices on the right, like Steve Bannon, Tucker Carlson, Alex Jones, former President Donald Trump. Many Democrats fear that you're a spoiler in the race, that you will damage President Biden in the primary and grease the skids for former President Trump to return to the Oval Office. This week, former President Trump said about you... Kennedy is smart, and he's a common-sense guy. What kind of man do you think Donald Trump is? Well, you know, here's what I'm not going to do in this race. I'm not going to ta- attack other people per- personally. I don't think it's good for our country. And I think, you know, what I'm trying to do in this race is bring people together, is to try to bridge the divide between Americans. And guess what? The You know, when my dad died and we took this train ride from, you know, this seven and a half hour train ride that was supposed to be two hours. I brought his, I was with him when he died in Los Angeles. And then we brought his body from uh, from New York, Penn Station to Union Station and Washington, D.C. And there were, were, it was a two and a half hour ride, but it took seven and a half hours because there were two and a half million people on that train track. And, and it was the cross-section of America and all of the major urban stations in Trenton, Newark, uh, uh, Wilmington, and Baltimore, there were black Americans singing Battle Hymn of the Republic. There were whites on the, in the rural areas who, loved, who were holding up signs, goodbye Bobby, pray for us Bobby, American flag, standing, saluting. Four years later, 
and they had supported my father in the primaries in 1968. Four years later, in 1972, they were not supporting my father, and they were not support they were not supporting George McGovern, who was aligned with my father on all these issues. Instead, the vast majority of them were supporting George Wallace. And you know, there, my father was able to harness these populist energies. In the last day of his life, he won the most rural state in this country, South Dakota, and the most urban. He was able to bridge the divide among people who would otherwise be Republican, but wanted somebody who was common sense, who was able to appeal to their idealism, who was able to find the hero in each of them, who was able to get them to transcend narrow self-interest and see themselves as part of a community and part of this you know, incredible American adventure in, in modeling self-governance for the rest of the world. And so I'm proud that President Trump likes me even though I don't agree with him on most of his issues. I'm, because I don't want to alienate people. I want to bring people together. I'm proud that all these people like me and that I have independent supporters and Democratic supporters and that I'm able to bring a lot of people. You know, every Democrat says, I want to end the polarization. But how do you do that without talking to people who don't agree with you? How do you do that without appealing to people? Without the per My purpose is to find the issues, the values that we have in common, rather than, you know, focus on the issues and the personalities but that keep us all apart. I thought it was a pretty uh, interesting, courteous and respectful nod, to say the least. People forget, like, uh, Trump was really close with John Jr. Yeah. Uh, for, for me, I, I, I honestly think that, I don't know, I may be wrong, it's just a theory, but him running and I think there might be something more to this and it might be from our side. You know, if he's really willing to back up those words, there's no reason why he couldn't be presidentially appointed or be right. an ambassador somewhere. If he wants to really work towards ending the polarization, he should extend the olive branch. He's the outsider of this cycle. He doesn't right. have any political record to run on. Um, exactly. There's a lot of things that he hypothesizes on that he doesn't understand. You know, once you get entangled with the administrative state, don't necessarily work in your favor. And it's going to take you know, more than just a loyal band of America firsters to run a government that has tens of millions of employees across the nation. Um, no, for sure. And I think he's going to be able to, I, I think him running and like him being a part of this, this whole thing is going to, like you said, bring, bring people together from all sides in some way. I don't know. I mean, that's just kind of what I'm feeling right now for the most part, but let's just see what happens. They're definitely not going to run on a unity ticket as far as president and vice president goes, in my opinion. No. <laughs> and they are definitely not going to get shut out of their respective parties together and then run okay. a third party ticket as well. Um, that's an unwinnable no. situation, I think, uh, for as passionate as America First is. I think it would be, you know, once you start adding like people in the general election to the ticket besides DNR at this point in our mm. electorate, it becomes almost impossible. So we're getting ready to jump in with Jake Denton from the Heritage Foundation. Love when he comes on. We're going to be talking about the effects of deep fakes and AI in our upcoming election cycle. But I do have one more clip, and in our last audio clip of the week, Steak for Breakfast Enjoyer, returning to the show in a few weeks, retired Army Colonel Douglas McGregor was on a podcast, and he was saying pretty much what I just said wasn't going to happen. But I do want to hear insight and, and allow everybody to kind of make their own decisions. So let's check it out. Well, RFK Jr. has an attribute that Trump possesses. It's called authenticity. Mm -hmm. When you listen to him and you talk to him, and I have, 
it's very clear he's telling you exactly what he thinks. That, that carries enormous weight with the American people. Uh, ideally, you know, I would like to see those two gentlemen get together and form a third party. Uh, I think it's time. I think it could be done. You've got to get on the ballot, but that's not an uh, insurmountable obstacle. The problem I have is beyond, uh, you know, just get on the ballot. It's the election process itself. I mean, it's corrupt. I grew up in North Philadelphia. We haven't had a clean election in that city in 60 years. Come on, wake up, smell the coffee. Chicago, New York City, Philadelphia, mm-hmm. Los Angeles, forget it. Mm-hmm. Now with mail-in ballots, absentee ballots. I mean, we're not even talking about the software. Love Colonel McGregor. Can't mm-hmm. wait till he comes back to the show. We're going to talk to him about the upcoming election cycle. He kind of led us into, I mean, he thinks Donald Trump's the only man who could save this country. He gave us that receipt last time he was on the show. We're going to dive into that a little bit more and talk about what he was talking about there in a few weeks. But it, it's something to think about. You know, y- you have to understand that right now, Donald Trump and RFK Jr. are at opposite ends of their respective political spectrums, and they're kind of like in their own little universes because the whole rest of the thing that has ran everything regarding elections and the whole process in this country for nearly 250 years are like literally playing games alongside these two brilliant candidates. And it's a shame because in a real world, you know, Donald Trump would go out and and be able to make like, a, you know, Josh Hawley or some ridiculous America first, like just like him person as vice president and, and run to an amazing win, you know, capitalizing on the 74 million votes he got in 2020. And RFK Jr. would be able to go in, who's obviously a lot sharper than Joe Biden right now, and absolutely destroy him in a fair Democrat primary where, you know, it's not just uh, the delegate mafia who controls the DNC and the fact that because Joe Biden needs to be protected, they're not going to debate. So, you know, that's kind of where we wish we were at, but we definitely commentated on and provided some analysis on where we're at now. We're getting ready to jump in with Jake Denton, but before we do that, one more time, let's hear from one of our partners. Friends, I want to take a minute and talk to you about cigars. Whether you're on the golf course, fishing on the lake, or doing some yard work around the house, our friend Alan has got you covered. He's launched the Patriot Cigar Company. The tobacco is handpicked in the fields of Nicaragua, right next to where Mike Lindell picks his coffee beans. The cigars are hand-rolled, each three years. If you get a promo code STAKE here, you're going to get 15% off your total order. Every order over $100, free shipping, and a $10 e-gift card is included with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com, that's MyPatriotCigars.com, a premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. All right, joining us next on the show today, he's covering everything tech policy down at the Heritage Foundation, and we always love getting some contributions from Mr. Jake Denton. Jake, thanks for joining us on the show today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. How's everything going with you, sir? You've been busy every time I turn on my television, whether it's Newsmax, Fox Business, Fox Weekend. I see you on there. And and don't think I don't because I literally take pictures of my TV and text it to you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I've uh, been staying busy. Uh, We're heading into the summer months, which normally, you know, things slow down. But with AI, I think everyone's uh, interested in putting that extra work in here on Capitol Hill. And uh, it's definitely keeping us busy, whether it's TV or, or Hill meetings. Everyone wants to talk about AI, so it's uh, it's good stuff. All right, let's jump into it today then because uh, it's definitely something. The memes that have come out in this election cycle, uh, just in the GOP primary, namely the Ron DeSantis memes, they are top tier and they are absolutely ridiculous. The one that C3P memes put out yesterday uh, it was 
you know, basically a deep fake, and we'll start there and then jump into the more AI-generated stuff. But he did, like, the Stuart Smalley from Saturday Night Live, <laughs> like an entire two-minute skit. And it was Ron DeSantis, Ron DeSantis's voice, going over all the other stuff, and it was perfectly generated. Jake, in, in how toxic this political climate has become in this primary season right now, especially on social media, what can you say of, of how much AI and computer-generated stuff like that is having an impact on elections? Yeah, so, you know, the deepfake issue isn't a new one. We've had deepfakes floating around for quite some time. But what is new is the barrier to entry is much lower. You know, anyone can log into one of these sites now. A lot of them don't even have a uh, uh, barrier to entry in terms of price. It's free service. You just put your email in and you can produce these really high production value deepfakes. And we're seeing now that aside from just ordinary Twitter users, campaigns officially sanctioning the production of these things for the purpose of advertisements or just generic attacks on social media. And there's certainly an impact, whether it's, uh, you know, satirical, but it's uh, in a way that makes a candidate look weak or makes them look kind of silly um, or more serious. We saw in Turkey that, you know, candidates were putting out uh, deep fake videos on other candidates superimposing their face onto pornographic videos, which essentially knocked one of the main challengers against Erdogan yeah. out of the race. He backed out. He was like, I'm not doing this. Um, and, and that really shaped the uh, the outcome. It avoided a runoff election in Turkey. And I think we're on a, a pretty quick collision course for seeing that here in the States. Uh, Right now, it's satirical. We're seeing memes, as you noted, but uh, very quickly, I think we're going to see uh, deep fakes depicting kind of those ordinary campaign outings um, in a really harmful way. You know, most of us can't go to New Hampshire or Iowa and watch the campaign events live. So we're forced to rely on the photos and the videos. And anyone can make a video making it look like whether it be DeSantis, Trump, or any of these other candidates doing something stupid at one of these events, and it could hurt their image. So uh, it's coming very quickly, and we're really not prepared for it. No, we aren't. Not only are there no like laws and regulations out for it yet, we, we haven't seen, at least here, things that are impacting actual functioning of our government. It's so crazy to me. You know, every time I see like one of these leaders, whether it be uh, people that were running in the in the Turkish presidential election, Vladimir Putin, who made a lot of statements over the course of last weekend when they had that whole issue with the Wagner group going on, it's, hard, it's impossible to tell if it's really them. It's impossible to tell where they are. I mean, backgrounds have been CGI for a long time, but now you're just talking about it, it could completely not be them. And, and when things like coups are going on in certain countries or, or elections are being ran in places like not the United States where they don't have the safeguards of the Constitution, you know, and, and you know, a formal centralized government, it could just spell recipe for disaster, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. You know, you look at the the Wagner uh, events that happened in Russia just, you know, about a week ago, all of that information was coming out over Telegram. And, yep. you know, you looked at Western media and how they were reporting on it. They're citing the videos that are coming through on Telegram. And it just opens the door to allowing people to post fabricated videos um, that really, you know, rival reality. Uh, you know, you can have whether it be a, a presidential leader or something, you know, more simple and environmental where it's, uh, you know, tearing up a road and you go to the Twitter comments right now and everyone's arguing, this is fake, this is real. Uh, and it's really difficult to, uh, to tell at this point. And, you know, there are detection softwares out there and available, but they're not really that easy for ordinary people to use right. and they're not integrated to Twitter. So, you know, how are we really going to flag these things moving forward? Uh, your guess is as good as mine, but uh, 2024 is going to be defined by these types of 
of deep fakes. And uh, I don't think it's getting enough attention. And our lawmakers should be incentivized to, to work on this because it's going to be them who's getting victimized by this stuff. But uh, they're kind of dragging their feet and it's going to come back to bite them. Jake, why do you think our lawmakers currently up on Capitol Hill are dragging their feet with this? It seems like, you know, when you just look at the big whole perspective of it uh, from outside looking in, everyone from Bill Gates to Elon Musk at some point has kind of alluded to we could definitely lose like everything, uh, humanity to AI. And when you don't know how we would get there, but these people continuously are tinkering with it behind the scenes, how can our lawmakers just kind of completely ignore this right now? I think there's a lot of fear of being the first one to get out in front of this issue, put your ideas on paper, and those ideas be wrong or even accelerate this issue even further. Um, and so you look at the, the Schumer framework, which came out uh, a couple of weeks ago now, and he laid out basically a talking point memo that just stated general computer science topics. There was like no actual details or ways in which they're going to execute. And, you know, I talked with a Fox reporter about this. You can find the article, but uh, it's basically weeks have turned into months. Months are looking like they'll turn into years before we actually get real legislation that's going to govern this space. And every single day, this technology exponentially improves and our lawmakers just keep going back to the drawing board. At some point, someone's going to have to decide, you know, this is the path forward and we're just going to do it. Uh, but the longer we wait to build a foundation, Silicon Valley will build it for us. And we've already seen with social media, with Web3, all these uh, various technological developments, uh, that doesn't end well for the American people. Uh, when we're cut out of the equation and we leave it to the, the ruling class in Silicon Valley, they burn us every single time. And we're about to see that again with this technology. So we need our lawmakers to be bold and really make decisive action to make a safe environment for us with this new tech. Now, based off someone who does this for a living, and I'm talking about tech policy, you kind of watch all this stuff as it develops. It starts in the womb, and then we all know where this goes. This usually spirals out of control. I mean, look at how hard it is to regulate something in the United States like TikTok. It should be pretty simple. It's a, you know, it's an app that's geared towards kids with inappropriate content on it. It collects your data. Uh, it's governed and, and ran, and the data is collected by the CCP. It should be a slam dunk. That should be like a bipartisan issue. We don't want it. And, and we're not going to have it in the United States unless they make a lot of changes, which we all know hypothetically they can't do because of where the ownership lies and the CCP is allowed to collect all that data just because, you know, where it operates out of. We're running into the same thing here with, with AI. You know, some of these companies are, are really making strides, and I see this spiraling out of control before anybody kind of, you know, sticks their finger in the dam and, and all the cracks. But do you think we're kind of going down that road right now just because of all the stuff that's going on? The political climate here in the United States has been awful for the last, we're going to be on a decade by the time we get to the next presidential election. And and when you talk about things like big tech, yes, it's a concern. This is probably a more bigger underlying concern than a lot of things like TikTok. But at the same time, like the consequences we could eventually start reaping from this, not only from around the world, but here domestically, you know, we all, we all have caught the government lying so much to the American public since Donald Trump took office for the start of his first term. Just imagine if they started using deep fakes and AI to generate news or, you know, God forbid there's ever a health crisis with a president to make everybody think he's okay when he's not and other people are running the government behind the scenes. Is it going to spiral out of control before we get a handle on this? 
Absolutely. I mean, look at the kind of people who are in charge with solving this. It's the same elected officials who couldn't figure out how to solve for censorship on the social media platforms, who let big tech weigh in on the the presidential cycle in 16 and 20. Uh, It's the same people who essentially killed crypto in the United States by, you know, not being able to understand it, uh, same people who can't figure out how to solve TikTok are now being tasked with a concept where we don't even have a sufficient supply of computer science expertise to develop, you know, at scale AI technology, let alone have people go to Capitol Hill and educate members of Congress on the fundamentals of these this type of tech. And so when you think about how quickly this moves and the fact that we can't even settle on a basic framework to lay a regulatory foundation, you know, think back to that letter uh, that called for a pause and they asked very fundamental questions about should we be comfortable automating away jobs? Should we be comfortable automating away jobs that are fulfilling art, culture, things of that nature? You know, making a podcast, should it just be an AI bot doing the podcast? It's more efficient. Uh, lawmakers still haven't even asked those questions. They're walking around just trying to figure out where to start. And that's very troubling. Um, it, it seems like we're heading down a path where instead of solving the core of this issue, going at AI technology um, and the basis of those, uh, how these systems work, we're going to look at the symptoms, things like deep fakes, and we're going to try and squash deep fakes. And things are just going to keep popping up. Uh, but we have to go to the core of the tech and solve for the tech, create an environment where the tech is in the service of us. And that will solve for those bad case scenarios of automating away jobs that we didn't want to automate away yep. or you know, deep fakes. So uh, I don't think we're on a great course. We still have a little bit of time, uh, but all signs point to this getting a lot worse before it gets better. I'll tell you what, we're going to continue to track it and track everything that you're doing, Jake. We're going to live link the Heritage Foundation uh, website in the show description today. But for anyone that's not following you on social media, what can we live link as well? Yeah, Twitter is Real Jay Denton. Uh, you know, we've been tweeting out all of our AI and TikTok related things. So uh, stay tuned for more there. We love sharing it and we love sitting down with you every time he's on. He's banging out tech policy over at the Heritage Foundation. Mr. Jake Denton, thanks for joining us on the show today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Busy end to the work week, but I think we nailed it. Noah, what do you think? Nailed it. If you enjoyed this episode of the podcast and want to hear the now over 250 other editions of the show, make sure you're subscribed to us across every downloadable podcasting platform. Rate the show on Apple and Spotify. Find us on social media at Twitter, Getter, Instagram, and Truth Social. We want to thank all our guests for joining us today, Kingsley Cortez, Jim Nels, and Jake Denton. And guys, don't worry. We'll be back on Independence Day. Episode 253 is slated to host New York Young Republican Club, Gavin Wax. John Pierce, defense attorney for some January 6th. And we'll be co-hosting with uh, Miss Norbin Laden. So it should be an absolute banger. On behalf of the pod team, I'm Roan. Noah. Later. Antoinette. Bye, guys. See you soon. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the weekend and take care. Finding out what you mean when you say that you would apply the natural law philosophy to the Constitution is, in my view, the single most important task of this committee. Senator Biden was very focused on natural law. How did that go? Who knows? I I have no idea what he was talking about.